Hello, my name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast. This episode is a replay of an Instagram Live I did with the life and relationship coach, Justine Baruch. This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance. You may have noticed I've been on hiatus for the past month, following my episodes with Douglas Gillette, Doug Wilson, Eric Carroll, and more. I'll be returning with all new episodes next week with guests you won't want to miss. In the meantime, please enjoy this replay of an IG Live I did with Justine Baruch who's a life and relationship coach for men, women, and couples. In this conversation, we discussed Justine's story of deprogramming from feminism, how men need honor groups, men, women, emotions, communication, and hormones, how women need to own their feelings of safety, the relevance of trauma despite the overuse of the term, and finally, the story about how Justine got herself into a bit of a situation trying to get some backstage passes to a concert. This is an important conversation about the Great Reconciliation that I hope you'll enjoy as much as we did. And since this was an Instagram Live, you can also head over to YouTube to watch this episode on video. Thanks so much, and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Will Spencer from the Renaissance of Men here for an Instagram Live with Justine Baruch. I think that's how you pronounce that. I haven't actually had the chance to say her last name yet. Um, So tonight we're going to be talking about the Great Reconciliation. We're going to be talking about men and women and polarity. We'll probably be talking about some of the messed up dynamics that uh, men and women have been going through together for several generations. And uh, yeah, we're getting into a lot. So I see you're all coming in. By the way, real quick, before we get started, before I invite... Justine, and sorry for anyone who got confused by the time. Um, I'm in Phoenix, which is currently on. Um, I'm in Phoenix, which is currently on Pacific time. But Instagram thought uh, I'm on Mountain time because we're the one, we're the one uh, city, one state that doesn't uh, change with daylight saving. So sorry for anyone who got confused by the time. So I'm going to invite Justine in right now. She's right here, and uh, there we go. Boom. Justine's coming in now. I think she is. Meanwhile, while Justine joins, she is. Hi, Justine. Can you hear me? I I can. There was a little bit of a lag, but I'm here with you now. Okay. Well, you're on the other side of the world. (laughs) Yeah. Let me see if I can just switch it up a little bit, but there we go. Change. Oh, now you're frozen. So for just a moment, I'm going to do an ad for Michter's bourbon. For those of you that have been paying attention to my website, 
you might have noticed this bottle in uh, some of the footage that was recorded of me reading. Uh, oh, sorry, I was just doing an ad for my favorite bourbon while while you were on pause. <laughs> Hope you don't. <laughs> Glad you made the most out of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I can I can awkwardly talk to a frozen frame, or I can endorse alcoholism. I'm no, just kidding. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much, Will, for having me on. And as I shared with my followers, I am so delighted for every and any conversation that you and I are going to have just from the back and forth that we've been already having. I am really excited to be one addressing these issues with somebody and with man and to really because I feel when you and I are coming together to talk about these things, we are doing and representing exactly what it is that we're wanting to happen. So I'm really excited for this conversation. It's, it's really important that men and women begin. I agree with you. It's really important that men and women begin talking about these things because I feel like when I started the Renaissance of Men, I had been studying what we might call the men's movement for 20 years off and on in various ways. And so I had done a lot of men's inner work and I had read a lot of stuff about the manosphere and red pill and I explored that whole world. And so when I started my Instagram account, started posting publicly about the Renaissance, not long after I discovered that there were women that were talking about similar things on the side of, of femininity. And I was stunned to find that like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. And that got my, my mind turning. And so there is, so I say that there's this Renaissance of men, which has been around for a long time. And to have discovered that there's also a Renaissance of women and that got my head turning. Well, what happens when you put these two things together? And that's where I came up with the idea of the great reconciliation. And this is great. I love talking about that. But me talking about it on my own is not exactly the same as you and me talking together. So I'm really, because I know that you do a lot of renaissance of women stuff. You may not call it that, but that's what I call it. Um, so it's a great opportunity for us to talk about, to talk about these ideas. Yeah. And, you know, I woke up this morning with such a gratitude for this, but also an even more motivation because I put a post out there around men leading, women following. And yeah, it's provoking, but over on Facebook where I put it, I'm just getting slaughtered over there. And I was like, but there's something really beautiful about this, but there's so many wounds that people aren't able to see the beauty and experience the beauty and to trust in it. Yeah. Because we, we, we're seeing people like, you know, women are seeing men in this, we can't trust you, right? You're going to hurt me. You're going to take advantage of me. You're going to manipulate me. I can't let you control me, yeah. control, yeah. because you're not going to take my best interest at heart. And that's just not the perception or experience that I've had of men. Yeah. And so of really wanting to bring forth again, like, what men's hearts are like and their good intentions and, and wanting to help women to see that. And also working with men to be able to be like, this is how you can talk to her to help her understand where you're coming from, because you guys don't know that we need all of that information to be able to trust you because of our wounds. And so uh, being able to bring that together, <clears throat> I feel so that we can really start to heal together because there's no other way. Right. Right. It's it, there's an enormous amount of work to do on both sides. Um, and that's, that's the thing that is, that's the reason why you're getting slaughtered on Facebook is that the predominant narrative is that women are perfect. The, the, the narrative of, of, we might say culture is that men and women are equal in all ways, but women are better, right? That's the, that's the narrative, right? So if you, that's the double think, right? And so, and so if you were even to suggest that hey, maybe women have some work to do on their own completely independently to come into reconciliation with men 
and that maybe they're not these perfect creatures. Like that's how I was raised. I was raised to believe that these women are these perfect, flawless creatures that can never be criticized and that, you know, and that if even if they do something wrong, they didn't do anything wrong and it's actually my fault. And so I had to I'd go on a long journey to deprogram myself and realize like, oh, wait a minute. It is actually possible for women to do something wrong and I need to get comfortable with with um, with understanding that and with asserting that. At the same time, there's a whole other side of the men's movement that's like, women are the only ones at fault and men are perfect. And it's like, guys, come on, <laughs> come on. So the recognition that that both um, that both men and women have their own independent work to do to come into reconciliation together is really important because what I would say in response is that there's an enormous responsibility on the man to be um, to be the guy who's able to lead his woman. So it's not just enough to say, women, you need to do the work to come into reconciliation with men and heal from your wounds. My message back to men is that's true, but that doesn't make it any less true that you as men or as an individual man have your own work to do to be someone who's worthy of that. Like you, you don't just owe, you're not owed that, right? We don't live in that world anymore. That world went away, thank God. So now we as men have to climb the mountain to become the versions worthy of respect that was previously given by force or deference in the past. And I think that's a good thing that we're, we're on that journey now. Yeah, absolutely. And in this post that I was talking about, one of the slides that I had is men be deserving of surrender, don't demand it. <sighs> and so for them to, for the guys really to, to do their work. And, and what does that mean? Because I think there's also a lot of confusion around that because the women are saying that they want one thing. But in the end, that's not really what they want. That's not what helps them to open up and to surrender. And so to try to navigate through all that confusion around things. And yeah, I, I think that it is absolutely essential that both do their work. And this is where I love being able to work with men and work with women because I first started with working with women and telling them, okay, here's how men are. Here's how women are helping them to understand the differences. And here's how you can get in your feminine and inspire the masculine. But I was like, this is such good stuff. And I do not want to contribute to women having all of this information and telling their man about it. Cause then I'm just <laughs> adding to the problem of what's already there that I'm trying to fix. And so then I started to work with men and created this program for men where they could get it. And I remember one man who I was a client with before he, a one-on-one -on -one client, he was like, he reflected to me, he's like, Justine, you know, my wife's sharing all of this stuff with me, but he's like, but I need to learn it on my own. I don't want to learn it through her. I want to lead this relationship. Yeah. And I was like, I've got the solution. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, it is absolutely, it's always important for us to do our work. I think whenever we go into victim mentality and we're pointing our finger at who, what's somebody else is doing wrong then we are also a part of that problem. And I think that you and I had a conversation around coming from a unified place. And this, I was really, um, my mind was just blown because back in my 20s, I was more of my activist and feminist. And I, I, was, I was a fighter. And I remember coming across this passage of Adi Ashanti, an American spiritual teacher. And he said, these activists are approaching things from a perspective and they're contributing to the problem. Because how we are, when we're fighting against something, we create that duality and we're strengthening the existence of what is over there. But if we come from a unified perspective, which doesn't mean I have to agree, it doesn't mean that I can still speak out against something, but I see us as a unified thing. And, and it's not like I'm better, you're worse. And this is the work that I try to do with men and women as well. Is like, 
to be able to come in and see and understand and not just from our limited perspective of what I think is right <laughs> and that you're wrong, but to see, okay, how did I contribute to this? What can I be accountable for? Even if it's just like one or 2%, for me, that's the only way out of these things is to just fully focus on doing my work, make my requests, set my boundaries, do all of that and be really clear about it. But if I'm blaming, I'm a victim and I'm completely powerless to create any kind of change or have any happiness and fulfillment in life because I'm angry and I'm scared. Yeah. Well said. Well said. There's, there's enough victim mentality to go around for sure. And there's a lot of that with men as well as they begin waking up to what we might call red pill truths and the things that have been taken from them and swallowing the red pill and beginning to realize all the ways that they've been taught to to deprioritize their own needs. And so men, men very easily fall into this victim mentality and take it out on women um, or take it on, on uh, the idea of women, maybe not individual women, but you know, this women as a whole. And one of the things that I always say to people is people have asked me like, well, what sort of men are in the Renaissance? Because I conceive of the Renaissance of men as this 40 year long process. It's not just a moment we're having. We're actually riding the leading wave of, of 40 years of evolution in, in what we might call men's work that began in the 1980s. Men's work, the men's movement, stuff like that. And so I get questions from people and they say, well, so who's in the Renaissance and who's not? Because obviously you can point to fringe groups and stuff like that and say, what about this guy who you know, has this ideology clearly and this guy who uses his symbols and what's, you know, how do you say who's in and who's not? I say, look, the people who are in, the men who are in the Renaissance are the men that have abandoned any victim mentality. You can't have a victim mentality and be part of this. You can't be putting your problems on somebody else. Now, you, that you may have been actively victimized in your life, but that may, that's not to say that that didn't happen. It may have happened actively in, in, in specific instances you can point to, but you still have to assume responsibility for your life and shoulder that burden and begin working forward. And here's the hard part, with a spirit of gratitude with a spirit of gratitude for the burden that's been placed upon you because the overcoming of that burden will actually transform you into a better person if you willingly assume that burden, if you take it upon yourself to change. And then you discover what potential capability lies within you. But as long as you deny the picking up of the burden and say, I'm a victim, someone did this to me, and I'm just going to sit back and wait for someone to take care of me, the person that you're harming the most is yourself. You're cutting yourself off from your own strength, from discovering your own strength, wanting someone else to pick up and carry your burden for you. And that's the tragic part. That's the saddest part. It's like, look, not only does the victim create problems in the environment around them, you know, of demanding attention and, and uh, restitution from people who had nothing to do with it. There's that. But it's also like you're, you have no idea what you could be if you just assume responsibility for your life. And, and so I try to really... I try to really push that point to men. And I think a lot of men get it, um, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, bitterness that needs to be drained. And, and that's, that's an ongoing process. Yeah, yeah. Oh, beautifully said. And that's very much the, the approach that I take with both men and women in this. And I just to add on to that, when I look at the hardest moments that I've had, the biggest challenges, I would not want them... I, I would never wish them that they didn't exist. And one of the ways that we process pain is through the growth. So if we can lean in, okay, what can I learn here? How can I open? How can I grow? And we actually go into that, then there is a gratitude that's left over. But if we don't take the and seize those opportunities to learn and grow, then the pain continues to reside. 
and we can't heal. Mm-hmm. I want and, go go ahead. Well, I I just want to I want to say there's a comment that popped up from Jana Cozy. It says feminism is not about I'm better. It's about equality and balance. No healing can happen without social awareness of structural inequalities. Jana, I recommend you look up the article "The End of Men" by Hannah Rosen Rosen in the Atlantic, and you look up the headline of that article that says feminism. What if feminism is no longer about equality? It's not about equality anymore. Like you, this was a very popular article. Hannah wrote it was it was made into a book. It's very, very, it's a very popular influential article written about 12 years ago, something like that, maybe less. But uh, feminism started out as saying it was about structural inequalities. That's not what it is. And I can also provide some evidence from early feminist writers like Gloria Steinem that say it's not what it's about. So I want to address that because I think there's a lot in there that, that, seem, that, that points to this um, structural inequality of victimhood that's been driven through a political ideology. Because what I think has happened is um, feminism as a political movement took legitimate grievances and harnessed them into a political force as a tool to exert war on men, right? And, and I can provide an hour's worth of evidence for that. But I think the thing is to separate the legitimate grievances, you know, like this thing happened to you. Yes, for sure, right? But you can't generalize that to all women and then unify women as a force to take it out on men through the institutions of politics. And that's where I think things have gone wrong, is that I think that there are plenty of men that would be willing to say, oh my gosh, that's really terrible, you know, genuinely, that that happened, and what can I do? But when, when something happens to, to a woman that I love or I'm getting to know, and she takes it out on me, it's like, look, I'm not that guy. I've been in this situation many times, you know, where, with, with women that I love and women who have loved me where... I've been, I've been the person receiving the anger and vitriol for something that I had no control over that I would have intercepted if I could. Like if I were in the room at that moment, I'd tackle the dude, beat the crap out of him. So, and, and so we, we're dealing with that on a societal level where, okay, let's say that there are legitimate historical grievances, but it's being taken out on individual men through, through, through the avenue of politics. And that's unhealthy for everybody. And we see the results of that now. It's not that the grief isn't real and the pain isn't real. It's it's the it's the targets of it are are not worthy of that of that level of attack, and I don't want to slide this into politics, but I think it's the context that we're all speaking in. I would love for us to come up with a new word that can actually represent the equality that we're speaking about, and not a gender blindness. Men and women do not need to be the same, and, <laughs> and nor should they, and we're not. <laughs> Men and women are not the same, and I go a lot into that in my work. Where I break it down based on how our body is, how our brain is, how our hormones are, even if it's just like a 1% difference, that 1% difference in the structure of our body is having a huge impact on how we show up and one that needs to be honored for our physical, mental, emotional well-being. And so I would love for us, because I I do hear, I have a huge aversion to feminism now. 25 years ago, I was happily claiming myself to be a feminist. And now I would go, I'm an anti-feminist because of everything that that movement holds and that word represents. And when I hear feminism, I hear yay women. I don't hear yay men and women. Let's like, (laughs) I don't get a feeling of equality. And again, equality in the sense of equally valuing men and women, masculine and feminine, because that was a big transition for me. I was all about like, (laughs) I was in competition with the guys all the time and like proving myself. And then it was a book that I, I, I still remember reading it. 
I was in India in a bookstore and it was like the feminine's liberation movement is bullshit. And it's just women putting on pants and becoming men. And it's even worse because they're oppressing themselves now. And I was like, oh, oh my God, this is right. And I was like, I'm oppressing myself. What does this mean? And then I was like, okay, so I'm a woman, but I'm acting like a man. What does it mean to act like a woman? And that took me years to figure out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's a lot of the work that I do now. Like I, I work with strong, powerful women who are very mental, as was I, and who are like, you know, in their masculine. And that has been my journey. And I love working with those women because I love watching the satisfaction that they get, the fulfillment that they get, the happiness that they get, and that they can bring around them. And Will, as you and I spoke before, they're more powerful. I have so much more power and influence now that I'm in my feminine. That's what's wild, right? Yeah. So um, it's just learning to be able to. I, I, I shifted the way the, the vocabulary that I use because I see somebody is ask, saying, what does it mean to act like a man? Or sorry, what does it mean to act like a woman? So I have a course adored where I break that down in three months of tons and tons of content. Like I've got over 30 or 40 videos in there where I go into that. But to speak about it, like I, I started to give space in my life for there to be a man to play the masculine role. So before it was like stubbornly independent, I'll do it all on my own. And then when I started to go through my transition, I remember one time I was back in the States and my car was stuck in the snow. Now, previous Justine would have like (laughs) muscled my way out of that. I would have done it. A man walked by and he was like, can I help you? And I was like, yes. And so (laughs) who am I? he got my car stuck out of the snow. I didn't have to sweat a thing. I thanked him and we both, I felt cared for and seen and supported and protected. And he walked away, you know, feeling like a man. Useful. So what does it mean to act like a woman? To receive, to receive love, to receive ad- admiration. And that's another thing. Like before my feminism, when a guy admired me, if he did it in a slightly disrespectful way, which was happening, then... <laughs> He got the fighter. Like, I remember my brother and I would be at a party. And if a guy offended me, he's like, you better leave. Like, he didn't need to <laughs> stick up for me. He needed to protect them. Wow. Whereas when I shifted, I would have men, you know, objectify me in a certain way. Just like, hey, sweet thing. And if I turned around and I was like, thank you. And I said it from a place as if they had really given me a compliment. This happened on several occasions. It called them forward. They were like, oh, yeah. Okay. And I think that, that this is what's needed. Like stop fighting and, and emasculating and disrespecting because it's only going to make things worse, but to start to, to respect and, and raise that bar, like come to that place where you want to be met, not lower yourself with whatever energy you're being met with. So good. I, w- I wish I, I want to underline and highlight that, like come to the, put out the energy at the level that you want to be met. Like that's just, it's so real. And, and so much of our social media dialogue is designed for the lowest common denominator. And that's what everyone goes to. But there is a choice. There is a choice every minute of every day off social media, on social media too, but off social media to say, how am I going to meet this, this situation? Am I going to meet this with reaction or with response? And that you chose in those moments, like when your car was broken down 
or when these guys are hitting on you perhaps inappropriately at a party, you chose you chose to respond from a place of empowerment, not to not to think of yourself as weak because your car is stuck, or not to think of yourself as an object because a guy said a thing. You thought of yourself as a human being, as a woman in 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 need of things in the car scenario, like I need a man to help. No big deal. It's not the the world is not gonna end. And you thought of like you thought of that ultimately it is a compliment, you know? It's not handled, it's not handled in the best possible way, at least not for you, right? Um, but you chose it to handle as a compliment. And I'm sure that was completely disarming. And there's a power in that. Like that's there's a book called The Myth of Male Power by Dr. Warren Farrell. And um, he recently re-released the book, and um, the cover of the book now is is the shape of a woman's body, the silhouette of a, wom- a woman's body. It's kind of revealing, actually. And he said that he chose the cover of that book in that way to illustrate, because the title is The Myth of Male Power, and he shows this woman's body. It's like, this is how thin the notion of male power is, that an image like that completely dis- disarms men. Like a woman walking through, and I sent you my post about grace, a woman with, with embodied grace, which can look a lot of different ways, walking into a room will draw a whole crowd of men to silence. Like it's just, it, that's, a, that's a power that you can't replicate with a billion dollars or an entire corporation, you know, or muscles or whatever. Like you can't replicate that. That's what I might call spiritual power. And that's, and that's, that's real power that women have been denied the teachings of how to embody it for generations, two, three generations at least, that used to be passed down. That used to be part of women's inheritance from their mothers and their grandmothers. And somewhere around the 1960s, 1950s, I could probably say earlier it was broken. And it, it, it hurts both men and women to have less of that in the world. And I think we're all suffering. I think we're all suffering with a real lack of feminine grace. And so that's the most exciting thing to me about the Renaissance of Women is that I get to watch that come back. Like, how glorious is that? Like, the Renaissance of Men is great. I'm really excited for the Renaissance of Women because I get to watch that. Like, that's the best possible thing. Yeah, yeah, beautifully said. And I want to speak to one of the comments that just came through here. We, we were given some suggestions on um, different names to look up. And now it's not only feminism, it's not against men. Like, I, I get that there are fantastic feminists that are out there that are truly about equality and that are about like lifting women up and lifting men up and, and that there is some of that. The overall feel of the word and the movement is what I'm speaking to. And then this comment says there's also nothing wrong in being strong. Absolutely. I don't think there's anything wrong in being strong. I think how what I've learned is how I choose to express my strength. So it's not having power over somebody. I also don't enjoy the, comp- well, I'm a very competitive person. Like if you play cards with me or you play basketball with me, like I'm going to rile up, you play chess. Then I love games. But in that, I don't try to assert myself in the same way. And I, I do feel very strong. And before, like, you know, I was making sure that I was carrying as much, if not more firewood than my partner. And now I'm just like, I'm going to sit by the fire. Can you collect the firewood? I'm like, why did I want to assert all of that? Because it is so much fun being a woman and just being taken care of. Like I love when I travel because I travel with a lot of stuff and help is always provided for me. I'm like, what would it be like to be a man and have to take care of yourself through the entire trip with all of this luggage? So I really like, I am strong. I'm, I'm, I'm a physically strong woman. I've got a strong mind and like, I think everybody around me knows that, but I don't need to put that on display. Mm-hmm. If I'm in my masculine, I did. <laughs> but when I'm in my feminine, 
I just know it. And I think that that's also something that I work on with women is you don't need to put it out there. Like it's not, we don't need to be the peacock showing off. We show off in another way. Um, and to go off of what you said, Will, it made me think of, it was, you know, 25 years ago or something. I was sitting on a bus with a boy who was 14 years old and we started having a conversation. He's like, you know, women are more powerful than men. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm really curious to hear more about this. And he's like, because he's like, we want sex and we want like beautiful. And if a woman, as soon as she knows that she can control us completely. And so when I think of the cover that, and it was something along the lines, but the cover of um, Warren Farrell's book and just like, there is, there's such a power and such a strength in women. And again, I, w- I would like for us to be coming from a place, both men and women, to not have power over each other, but for our power to be coming from within. And when it's that, we don't need to fight. We don't need to live in fear. We don't need to be angry because instead we can just set our boundaries and we can work through whatever triggers coming inside. And we don't need to feel diminished in the press because we're in our power. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. And the 14 year old boy said something really interesting. Now, I don't, I don't know how this works for women, but I, I think the reason why he feels that way, and he's not wrong, but the reason why he feels that way is I don't think that he has strong enough brothers around him. Like, yes, a woman, a woman can absolutely control a man consciously or unconsciously, but that happens. That definitely happens. You know, it's probably, probably every man listening to this has had an experience where they've been controlled, not necessarily by a woman directly, but by the, by the image of her, let's say in some way. And so the thing is, in the, in the moments of my life where I was being controlled by that image or by that woman, I didn't have strong enough brothers around me to check me, to keep me, to keep me in line, or father or, or brothers. And so I think that, the, that the, the bulwark against being controlled by women is, is honor. For men, it's honor. It's like you recognize that you are part of an honor um, an honor group, which is, um, there's a book, uh, I've read many books about masculinity and femininity, so I'll be referencing books all, all, always when I talk, but there's a book by um, Brett McKay from The Art of Manliness called What is Honor? And he talks about horizontal honor and vertical honor. Horizontal honor is man-to-man, you with your brothers. You are accountable to a set of standards with the men in your honor group, and you all uphold those standards. And if you don't uphold those standards, there are consequences of various sorts, depending on what standard you break. That's the honor group. Like we're all expected to hold to this standard and each honor group sets its own series of standards. That's one series of checks on men. Say, oh, I'm really falling in love with this girl and uh, I'm starting to lose focus on something. If a man has strong enough brothers or a strong enough brother next to him, like bro, get your head in the game, come on, right? And that's necessary. And men don't have that today. They don't definitely don't have it from their fathers. And then, um, Vertical honor has to do with your relationship with the divine, with God, whatever you conceive that to be. And so the combination of horizontal and vertical honor was what ideally kept men from falling off, from falling off one side to another and losing their honor and being controlled by women. And we have, we have uh, and everyone needs a KJ. Yes, that's my, that's my best friend, KJ, <laughs> that everyone needs one of those for sure. So, um, so that's what kept men from falling off to one side or, an, or another. And we don't have that anymore especially don't have a father. And so that is, that's really, that's a real problem for men today is where do we find that, that set of, um, I guess, brother, brotherly love that keeps us from putting that responsibility for control into a woman's hands, which 
we shouldn't be doing and which women don't want, like not after more than a few minutes anyway. Yes, absolutely. And, and I think I love seeing some of the men's groups and the men's work that is there because the, the world of personal development has been so dominated by women. And so now that for there to be more of that, and sometimes I'm concerned because some of the men's group have a very feminine feel to it. And so when I see men's groups that are like really doing it in a masculine way, then, then I get excited about that. And, you know, also I, I run a men's group, which at first when I went into that, not a men's group, I run a, men, a program for men. I was like, who am I? What kind of woman am I to be running a group around men? But one of the guys, he was like, you know, Justine, this just makes sense. He's like, we have you here teaching us instead of a bunch of dudes talking about bro science, about how to better understand women. And I was like, for that, I was like, this is exactly why I wanted to do it. And when we come together, because on my group, we, I, I do coaching in the, on the platform. And then we also have these live calls. And I love the way that they, those live calls went with the men, different compared to how it was for the women. And the way that they are, are direct, they call each other up, they reflect things back to each other. And then just be able to have, because that we, we went into that space and did some of that inner deeper work, went through the wounding, went through our projections, took accountability, saw what we could do differently. And to be able to, I love being in those spaces with men. I, th I just think it, it's a different feel than what's happening with women, but it's so important that it continues to hold a masculine tone to it. And I was happy going into it that even though I was a woman with a bunch of men, because of that, I could be polarized. So like I'm in my feminine being able to work with these guys around their masculinity and it worked. And because it, it's about like how to be able to do that with the woman. And because I'm like, well, here's what's going on for us. And for them to be able to hear that from a woman to understand what it is that we want and need, even if that's not what we're expressing and saying. And so it's been really beautiful work to be able to navigate that confusion and also the wounding that's happened for the men or for you for for the men okay well when i said that i was referencing to the to the men i like i i personally like when i think of myself because i was such a fighter i don't think of myself as as wounded as, as wounded like i needed to heal from these things it was more for my own personal journey was me learning to soften I and see. it's every, everybody's is different like i i grew up with three brothers so i just kind of grew up rough and tough. <laughs> I didn't turn rough and tough because I was wounded. Mm -hmm. Got it. That's really, um, that's really interesting. And, and, and I said this to you when we talked uh, yesterday, you know, it's a, it's a real, it's a real credit to you and a real honor to you that you would be able to be in that position of leading a men's group of teaching men about women and to do it, to do it with integrity and to know what things you can talk to them about to know what experiences you can say, because if I were leading a men's group to, to, um, to talk to them about women, I would say very different things. And since they've placed you in a, in a position of authority, they're trusting you to give them good and reliable information. And we talked last night and you explained to me some of the long journey of blind spot hunting that you went on in order to be able to do that. You know, because you could, if you, even if you went in with good intentions, even any, any woman going in with good intentions would have her own blind spots about how she believes that men need to interact with women and would teach the men who have put her in a position of authority, teach from those blind spots. And then the men through no one's fault would be getting bad information that could potentially manipulate them. And so the only way that I would ever trust, let's say a, a woman to be in that position 
of communicating to men in that way is a woman who's gone through the process of self-examination to try and give as best as she can true information and helpful and healing information to the men. Like that's a real credit to you that I actually, I get a sense of that from your materials and from our interactions that that's something that you've really engaged in to be able to teach these men truthfully. And so that's a real, that's a real honor to you that you engage in that, in that process, because I wouldn't just naturally feel comfortable in my heart with a woman in that position. I've, I've, I've seen some of that. Um, but you seem like you've really put in the time and effort to be high integrity with it, which is, which is wonderful. Cause I, I think that conversation needs to happen in the right way And this, cause I would love to believe that that conversation could happen for men speaking to women about what, about how to communicate with men. But a man would have to be speaking, would have to really investigate his own blind spots. Like where, where would my wounds be in that? So I make sure that I'm giving information that I know is as true as possible. And that's, that's tough to do. It takes a lot of introspection for anybody. So I, I really, yeah. that step. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I would say like a lot of my studies have helped me to do that as well as my relationships. Like I've been in two long-term relationships, one eight years and one we're going on 12 years now. And they, since I tried to like learn about them and I approach my man with curiosity and I'm open to his feedback, I learned so much about men that way. And I also learn about like where I'm projecting what I think is best and what I think is good for them and what I think how the relationship should be. That was a big blind spot for a long time. <laughs> and I mean, being a woman and being anxious attached, it was like a, a double whammy for what I was projecting onto my man about like, this is how a relationship should be and you're not doing it and you're the cause of our problems. And like, it's embarrassing, but that's <laughs> is what happened. And so also being able to like, I've read so many books around the differences between men and women. And I just, I love it because then I see it coming into play. And I'm also continuously open to learn. Like, yeah, I get things wrong. I'm a human and I'm a woman and I, I don't know what it's like to be you guys. And I, I am trying to learn about that. And I openly invited you. I sent a message the other day. I'm like, well, if you see a blind spot coming up in my material, please call me out on it because I, I want to learn it. And, and this is what I put out there with the men in my program as well Is like, if something doesn't fit here, like, let me know and, and let's talk about it. But I think when you, what we were talking about the other day was around emotions, because this is something that I, I do want to really put out there because women have been more attuned and working with, and we are more emotional Our brains wired that way. And so then there's women that are selling men, you're blocked or you're, you know, you're so head-based, you're so mental. And there's all of these criticisms that are coming out as, but only from a place of comparison of how we are. And rather than seeing like, okay, like there's two different systems in our brain of how we process emotions. We've got the MMS, which is what women mainly use, which is our empathetic approach. And then men have the... I think it's the TPJ. They, they go into a problem solving. That's what happens when a man gets emotional. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not lacking compassion. It's not like, oh, it's so mental. So it needs to be criticized in this way. Like this is just how we process differently. And then when women will go and put to men like, oh, come and talk about your emotions. You're going to feel better. No, you're not. Because talking about his emotions is going to increase his estrogen and that's going to increase the cortisol. It's not what the man needs is testosterone because when his testosterone goes up, his cortisol comes down. So give him some space because when he goes into his man cave and he has some alone time, then he's going to have his testosterone go up. Then his emotions are going to come down. Then he's going to be able to have more clarity and focus and center to find his way out of whatever it is that's triggering him in that moment. 
And so really trying to help men and women to understand this so they can stop misguiding men, whether they're coaches or therapists or teachers or mothers or wives, because it's happening all over the place. And it's really tricky when it's a coach or a therapist telling a man how to be with his emotions. She's making him more feminine. And then he feels worse because he doesn't have the hormonal cocktail that he needs to feel confident and good about himself. Yeah. I mean, that was a big diet. When I went, when I was creating my men's program, I was like, all right, I need to really step out of this (laughs) woman's experience. And I spoke with a lot of men too. What works for you? What doesn't work for you? What makes things worse? What do you need? And so much of what I've learned around like men is, is directly from them as well as my studies. It's amazing. That's amazing. A lot of that stuff I didn't know. And that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense because you know, one of the things that's very difficult, I think, for, for people in general to, general to understand today, but especially women, is that, you know, for thousands of years, men had to be ready to die at a moment's notice on behalf of the village or the tribe. That was just how it was. Some threat is approaching over the hills. And uh, guess what? You got to go meet this threat. And, you know, maybe they, they have twice the number of men that we do, and maybe you're not ready to die today, but they're here today. So, or, you know, bears or something like that. And so men had to get into a place where when threat was experienced that they had to be able to, they had to develop systems to set their emotions aside and to get the job done. And that was, and the men that were most able to do that most consistently were the ones who are often most valued by the tribe, because a man that's able to set his emotions aside is able to set his fear aside. And set his fear aside and act because fear is it's an emotional activation, right? It probably runs down the same pathways as sadness and, and joy and all that. And so the ability to compartmentalize emotions, set them aside and act on demand is how the best men were, let's say, selected for in terms of you know, reproduction for thousands of years. And so we have that in our brain where under threat, which is perhaps an upset partner, girlfriend, wife, something like that we go into this response and it's like we set our emotions aside because we're experiencing a threat in our home or a threat to our relationship or something like that. And so that's how we're wired. And to understand that, like, that's, that's how we relate to emotions. And I sent you that piece that I said about um, vulnerability, like vulnerability frames men and their emotions around, you just kind of sit there with this openness in your heart all the time. And uh, yeah, cool. Right. Just be like that. It's like, well, that's not, Men don't value each other as a result of that. And women don't value men. They say they do. They think they do. They've been told to, but they don't. And so a better way of thinking about it is instead of vulnerability, keep that buttoned up and to be emotionally accessible, to be able to know when the right time to go into your emotions is and to have that fluidity and say, yes, right now, no, not right now. Maybe this is not a good situation for inner or outer reasons for me to be going into my emotions and to be able to go across that gate. Because if you look at the male heroes immortalized in literature and poetry, you know, prior to movies, men wept all the time. Look at Achilles, read the Bible, right? Great poetry of the ages was written by men. And so this idea that men are not emotional creatures is false. It's just that men have a different relationship with their emotions and they don't know that. And women don't know that. No one knows that. And so I liked writing that piece because it was like, here's a fragment. I I wish I could take credit for saying emotional accessibility. I didn't come up with it. It was given to me by my friend and mentor, Glenn. And he gave that to me in one of our earliest conversations. It was like, light went off in my eyes. So I'm happy to spread the idea. 
but to be able to share that and to help men and women understand that men relate to their emotions differently for women. And thank God for that, <laughs> right? How wonderful, how wonderful. And that you teach that to women is equally wonderful. And I love it because then they get to see the good intention and the love and the care that's behind men when they go into problem solving. Yeah. Because they're so they're like, oh, you're just stop trying to fix this, like stop trying to solve the problems. Like, and it also for to give the women the vocabulary and the instructions, like when they're upset, to be able to say, Hey, sweetie, right now I'm upset. I just need to get all of this out. I just need you to listen. So I tell the men, you're just holding a trash can and she needs to get all of that stuff, all of that poison out, and you will help her. You will solve her problem by listening. And I explain how and why that happens on a hormonal level. Because for her, when she's upset, her cortisol levels are high. She's stressed out. She's emotional. What brings her cortisol down is oxytocin. Oxytocin gets produced when she talks. So if she can talk, but she needs to feel seen and heard, because then she feels like she's not alone. So then I teach the women how to actually tell the men, here's how I'm going to feel better here. If you can just listen and you can like, come into my experience with me and, and, and validate. And I help the men to learn how to do that. So like when she's talking, here's what you can do. This will solve 80% of the problem. Even if you're the problem, <laughs> if you're not the problem, it's going to solve hundred percent of the problem most likely. And here's why. And so when I break all of this down about actually what's happening, it removes the judgment of how men should be or how women should be and helps them to be able to see it differently. Cause with the men, some men will be like, just relax, let it go. It's not important. Don't worry about it. It's not going to work that way because her emotions and her energy and her hormones are all riled up. She needs to be able to shift that. Here's how she can do it. And she's not, she's only going to be able to do that when she can, well, not only, but one of the ways is to talk and, and to get it out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and the natural response. One of the most valuable pieces of information that I think floats around in general about men and women relating is that men need to, need to learn that um, when they're when when his woman is speaking to him about something about a problem that he learns to ask, "Do you want me to provide a solution, or do you want me to just listen?" And to have that install that thought early on in the in the decision chain for when she starts talking, like to ask because she, then it's like, "Oh, what do you what do you need me to provide?" Provide, you know. <laughs> Alison Armstrong has entered the chat. But what do you what do you need me to provide in this moment that would help you? And that simple that simple question is so powerful because if you ask a man like I just I really need you to listen to me in this moment like I provide that if you use that language, absolutely whatever whatever you need I can provide that for you. But the woman's not necessarily in a place to ask in that in that language you know because whatever is going on. So it's important for the man to be in a position to do what men do, which is to take the initiative and to ask that simple question, which is so powerful because that also gives him the freedom. Like, it's not like, oh, you're in a spot and uh, okay, I, this is now is where I get out my, my emotional trash can. Like that, that sort of turns him a little bit into a servant. Okay, I can understand how it creates that. So to say, do you, which, which of these things do you need from me right now gives him some presence in the situation as an individual as well. And that whole, that whole little tiny piece of knowledge to shift the whole dynamic in an instant. I've witnessed it. I've witnessed it. It's like, oh, okay, you need me to listen? I can sit and listen. No problem. Yeah. And when it comes to giving that perspective, I think something that can be really helpful because there's so much wisdom that men can see, and especially from this like outside perspective, if they can first offer just 
one or two sentences or minutes of empathy in the form of like, here's what I've understood. Mm -hmm. Because if they can first say what they understood before they go into offering the solution or the other perspective, she's so much more likely to receive it and to be taken or like to, to go with it. But if we talk and then just immediately comes the solution, we're not quite sure if you've heard us yet. So we might have to like keep on going mm -hmm. before we're able to really receive that advice. And so I have found that to be a really helpful step of just like, you know, you're reaching across the bridge and you're saying like, come on, let's walk together. And then you walk across the bridge together, but you first got to go onto their land. That's right. That's well said. That's super, that's very, very well said. And, and to be able to be present in the moment as well and to set aside, to turn off that problem solving kind of instinct and to offer that empathy and really, and really take it in. And I think what's tough for men in some senses is that in, in my experience of relating to women when they have a problem with something, when it all comes out, it's all, it's all gone, right? Like it, it may take a few minutes, but then it's all there. Okay, I feel much better. In my experience of working with men and, and being a man, when, when something is strong enough to sort of take over my mind, it's not just the thing. There's a lot more under it, right? That, that actually has the opportunity because for various reasons. So I think, I think for men, at least I can say for myself in the past, there has been fear of going into that moment because I'm used to relating to my own emotions as a man, which means if I engage with this, there's a giant volcano on the other side. That may not necessarily be the case with men because they tend to keep things down more. When a man has an emotional experience enough to take over his presence, that means he's been suppressing it for God knows how long. So there is that fear of like, the, am I relating a man relating with men's emotions? No, you're not. You're a, you're a man relating with women's emotions. And it's going to be a very different, it's a very different experience if you can just step into that, that step into that gap, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. I very much agreed. And I'd love to loop back around to something that you said before around the, the, the trash can holding and that if he's just doing that, he's a servant. Cause I just want to check to, See if I'm having a blind spot here. So with the women, because I, I, I love how you're saying men just take that initiative and be like, well, you know, what do you want right now? Solution or sympathy? Um, empathy, not necessarily sympathy, but solution sympathy sounds better. Um, but for women to also take responsibility and accountability for what they want and not just like leaving it to the man to, to figure it out. So to lead and set him up for success from the beginning. So do you feel that if a woman comes and she makes a request of like, hey, I'm, I'm really upset and emotional. And, and right now, if you could just listen, that's going to really help me. Does that. OK, good. Just got to make sure I'm <laughs> not not turning men into a servant with teaching women that. No, it, 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 that's that's more on the men's side of just of, of being of, of making sure to to assert if that's the word, we'll go with it, that he's he's an individual human being who um who needs to be seen and not and not merely to be dumped on you know what i mean like if, if the man's if the man should just snap i've got the bucket you know what i mean there there's a moment it's like well i understand and appreciate that you're having an emotional response right now to whatever right in that please still see me as a person and it can be really easy to lose sight of that and and yes of course she can she can set him up to succeed and say what I really need is for you to listen or something like that. But for the man to also ask as a as a way of communicating, I guess let's say that like, hey, I'm here, I'm still me, and I'm not just a bucket carrier. I'm also a person that has other things to to offer beyond just a bucket. And so it's that reminder to stay in relationship. And so and 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 I I put the initiative on men because that's how men are, and I think that men in general need to get better. Um, 
need to get better at, at, at taking the initiative in more situations properly. And so I, I tend to put the responsibility on men, but that doesn't that isn't to remove any responsibility from women to have their role in it as well, to, to raise the consciousness, to raise the awareness so that both men and women can see each other as completely as possible, as well as as individuals. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, both of us just taking accountability for everything that we can to bring more harmony, connection and intimacy. And this is so much of like, in, in the program that I have for men, I ended up putting like so much more information in there than I did the women's because I wanted the men to have all of the information that they could yeah. to be able to leave. So about like how to navigate a woman's emotions, how to understand her cycle and what she needs at the different pla- different places of her cycle, because there's, there's, there's a key moment for men where they can like have a lot of success if they nail, nail the time right, or also like how to handle conflict. So to really, for a man, because I know like when I'm having a, a process, a fight with my partner and he really holds us in that, oh my God, even though if I'm angry in him in that moment, I feel so surrendered for the way that he's just holding us. And so to teach men about how to do that with, with their own emotions and with women and, and her emotions and how to take space in a conscious and connected way and how to navigate the blames, the complaints and the criticisms in a way that's not just rolling over and getting kicked or fighting back, but to be really conscious and centered in the midst of that and bringing lucidity and accountability and feedback to a woman where it's not coming from a place of reaction defensiveness, because I think men, we can learn a lot from our partners, but we're not open to hear it. If it comes from defensiveness, we don't trust it as much. Sure. But if a man can hold his center and respond and educate and bring awareness to us, not from a reactive place, there's so much growth that can happen mm-hmm. for the woman and in the relationship. And so to teach men around how to do that. And part of that work, as you said before, is doing that, that all dealing with all that stuff that's underneath. So whether it's past relationships or it's the history of this relationship, or it's the mother wound or it's the father wound, like to be able to know what it is that's really getting triggered. Cause when you know that, then you're less reactive towards the present situation that's happening. Cause you know, what's actually getting triggered. Men, I'll cut right to it. There's probably something missing from your life, and I bet you don't even know. And that is a mission or purpose. A mission is more than a job, a career, or even a vocation or hobby. It's bigger than that. It's a godly pursuit that underlies all your most significant thoughts, words, and actions. If you seek to lead your family and your household, your purpose is the direction you're leading yourself in, and therefore your family undertakes the journey with you. Your purpose takes you beyond yourself, challenges you to expand your self-concept, confront your fears, acquire new skills, forge durable bonds of friendship and brotherhood, and most importantly, helps you contribute to the rebuilding of civilization. If that sounds too good to be true, it isn't. Because your purpose is a gift. But here's the catch. To receive that gift, you must be ready for it. And that is the nature of my coaching. I'm a man who has been blessed with a purpose and it's more than just this podcast. I've got something I'm working on behind the scenes that I know you're gonna love, and pursuing that purpose has taught me the secrets of what it takes to cultivate the purpose. Now I want to pass it on to you. Having a purpose has changed my life, and I think it can change yours too. And to do that, we have work to do. If you're interested in learning more, the content on my website is currently being updated to reflect my new program. In the meantime, email me at info at renofmen.com to start the conversation and schedule a free 30-minute consultation 
mention the code word PURPOSE and I'll offer 10% off a 12-week package. I'll also let you in on my top secret purpose behind the scenes so you can see that I know what I'm talking about. Once again, email me at info at rentofmen.com and mention the code PURPOSE to get 10% off a 12-week package. I started the Renaissance of Men to help men become the best versions of themselves through self-knowledge. If that sounds like you or the version of yourself you want to be, email me and let's get started. Uh, so that's so well said. And it just, it takes me back to the whole brothers situation, you know, to, to reconciliation for men with your father, to having brothers around you, you know, to having some relationship with the divine. Because if you, if you have a space as a man to go, to, to find, as, uh, as, my, as my friend and brother Christian said, you know, uh, steadfast. If you, find, if you have a place to go around, around fellow men where you can challenge and be challenged and get that energy out and learn resilience and learn how to be steadfast, then what you do as a man is you bring that into your home and you become more rooted. You become more connected. And even in a moment of extreme emotional turmoil, you know, say some, some disaster, not just, not just some random fly off the handle, you know, kind of situation, but something real for a man in that moment. So say, you know, say like, I'm here and I don't have a girlfriend right now, but she walks in the door and something terrible has happened. And she's in a, she's in a state completely legitimate, right? If I know in that moment, or I've spent my time in that day in prayer and at the gym with my guys, talking to my friends online, had a great conversation with my dad, and I feel rooted to the men around me, in that moment, I drive so much more strength to be there present for her in an instant. In an instant. And, and I think the thing that, that isn't necessarily obvious is that men who aren't able to be there for their women, they've been deprived of masculinity, of the healing power of masculinity. You know, our, I, I often say that um, everything our society says is upside down. Society says masculinity is toxic. So what does that mean? Masculinity is curative. It's curative. And there are so many men that are so sick, not because they have too much of it, because they have too little. And because they have too little, they're not able to really be there for their women in the way that they would most like to, because, because they're sick, because they don't have the steadfastness and the strength. And that's completely counterintuitive to any, everything that culture says. And yet it's really, really true. And, and I know dozens, if not hundreds, probably thousands of men around the world that have encountered that, that have transformed through the influence of men, specifically so they can be better partners to their women and better, better parents to their children and build a legacy. And that's so important. Absolutely. And that, you know, having that man time and having those men's groups and having that builds one's masculinity in one of the best ways. And I love like when women go with women and men go with men, it's something I really recommend a lot of couples do like have polarity night, Mm. either you're doing your own time and alone, or you're doing it with other friends that are men with men, (laughs) women with women, because there's something there that that you can't replace. Like, and yeah, so I I absolutely 100% agree with that. And to add on to it in regards to relationship dynamics, and what I just see happening in society in general is like when women are doing say when this term toxic masculinity is is being said, it it's it's harmful. It's it's so destructive because it's like why you know I was giving a, a lecture the other day and somebody started to ask about you know the stuff that's going on in Russia and Ukraine. They're like, let's talk about toxic masculinity. I said, 
I'll talk about that situation, but I'm not going to approach it putting with the from the place of toxic masculinity. That is not a representation of all men. And if we start making that a representation of all men, it puts men down. It puts them on the defense, which makes them want to attack. And so I know when I have sat for lectures and I've heard women talk in such a way, I was like, I felt bad, like for the men that were having to sit there and listen to it's all about empowerment and all of this. But I was like women's empowerment or bringing education and equality and awareness. But when we give power to somebody there and like when we surrender, when we give our trust, it's like, oh, I have this sense of responsibility. And to be able to step up, it calls somebody forth rather than pushing them down, puts them down, hurt people, hurt people. So I think one of the best ways that we can lift each other up, and somebody had said this in a comment way long before in our discussion where I was talking about power over somebody, they said, how about power for each other and like really standing for each other? I thought that was a beautiful way that he or she worked with the words um, there. And so I find the more that we can lift each other up and, and hand over that power. And Alison Armstrong speaks about this, where she says, objectification and emasculation are one and the same. Like when a woman emasculates a man, he's going to objectify her. Mm. And so that's something for me that I've learned. Like when a man objectifies me, if I don't turn around and emasculate him, then I find that I then experience a more mature, respectable, kind man. But if he objectifies me and I start to emasculate him, we're going in a downward spiral. That's not going to take either of us into a place of happiness and not going to serve our society. That's right. I, I just had this image in my mind when you were talking about that is if, if you, if a woman were to able to, were able to fully respond in that moment and really call a man forth, like really from a position of dignity, from a position of, of, um, of true feminine power, a man acting in some, in some destructive way. I don't like the term toxic masculinity either. So we'll talk about that in a minute, but he's, he's, he's behaving in some destructive way. If a woman were, were to call forth the best in him, Galadriel. Okay, we've all. I'm going to assume that we've all seen the Lord of the Rings movies. Have you seen the Lord of the Rings movies? I might have. Oh, I have to ask my partner. He knows what movies I've seen better than I. So, so, so. Okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll give the description and then I'll, I'll tie it back to the movie just to finish the thought. But a man acting in some destructive way, if a woman fully in her feminine can simply turn and with a look or with the right words, not shame him or emasculate him, call forth the best in him, if she can do that, one of two things will happen. Either the best will come forth out of him, which in today's climate might be the first time anyone's ever asked that of him, right? Most men don't ever get the opportunity of having a man or a woman call forth the best in them. They've been deprived of that opportunity, right? So if you can do that, he can either rise to the occasion and be transformed in front of his eyes, or you will see that man absolutely buckle and break, right? That, that won't happen by emasculating him, by shaming him, probably, probably, unless you do it really, really well. But, you know, that's an art, right? <laughs> Unfortunately. But to really call that forth in him, you, you give him the opportunity to step into that, or you, or you watch him buckle and break, and then you win, you know, without, without firing shot, let's say. So where this shows up, just to finish the thought about the Lord of the Rings movies, is in the first movie, The Fellowship of the Ring, all the all the fellowship go to um, go to the forest and uh, they meet Galadriel, and Galadriel is is the embodiment of the transcendent feminine in the in the Lord of the Rings movies. And you see Boromir, who uh, has 
let's say he has he has sin in his heart. He has um, lust for power, uh, wrath, a lot of brokenness, a lot of, and a lot of grief, and he wants power for himself to make right a lot of wrongs. That's the that's the grace that I show to the character. Galadriel looks into his eyes, and of the, all the men in the fellowship, he's the one that breaks down in tears because she sees right into him, right into his into his weakness. Right, he reacts badly to it ultimately, but she sees into his weakness, and you see this man that's so puffed up and so boastful and so prideful buckle under the gaze of a woman, and that's the power. That's the power that women have who are truly, fully embodied in their feminine. But we don't we don't conceive of power that way. We conceive of it purely materialistically, and men and women are both impoverished for it because because I think men need to be challenged by women on that level. Like, am I really the man that I say I am? Yes, I can have an elder. That that position can be held by an elder man, but a man who can really rise in the in the eyes of a woman like Galadriel, that's a now that to me that is a real man. That is a real man who can rise in that scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'd like to share with you a personal experience that I had where of this objectification and potential to really mas- emasculate or just to really react in shame, and this is when. In my youth, I was trying to sneak into a concert. So it was Eminem, Snoop Dogg, Nate Dogg, and I can't remember who else was there. Um, all the dogs. I, all the dogs. <laughs> all the dogs were there. Didn't get in. Um, so then I was, <laughs> the tickets were sold out. I was sitting outside with, with two of my girlfriends. And we're like, okay, now what do we do? Because the rest of our friends who bought tickets were inside. And there was this guy, we were next to one of the big buses um, of one of the, the rappers. And then this guy was like, what are you doing, ladies? And I was like, trying to figure out what to do because we tried to sneak in. We don't have tickets. And so now we just need to know, try to figure out our next step. And he's like, I can give you some tickets. He's like, I can give you VIP tickets and you can join us at the after party. And I was like, okay. And then he's like, just come on the bus. And I was like, all right, Uh-oh. little naive, but <laughs> I went on. So just, just a little bit, you know, I'm a little slow on these things. I'm like, yes, I want tickets. Um, so I go on the bus, you know, we walk past the couch and the bar and the dance floor. Like, it was an amazing, but most amazing bus I've ever seen. Yeah. We go to the back and there's this huge like bed and bedroom. And he <laughs> goes in and he sits down, he puts his arms back and he like signals. And I was like, Oh my God. I was like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, I get how this would have been really obvious to anybody else. And I was like, but I did not get that. And I'm not interested in doing that. So I'm going to go now, like no shaming. I just set my boundaries. Like, I don't want to do that. It's not worth tickets for me, but thank you. You know, somebody might've really liked three, three backstage VIP passes or whatever it was that I was getting. And he was like, Oh no, no, no. He's like, that's fine. You don't have to, I'll still give you tickets would you mind staying for five minutes so the guys outside think that you did it? And I was like, sure. <laughs> so, I was like, no problem. And we stayed, I stayed there for the next five, 10 minutes and we had a great conversation. He was so respectful and there, I didn't need to turn around in shame. I didn't need to do anything like that. And I had a nice moment and I got three VIP passes, best concert tickets I've ever had. And went to the party afterwards with Dr. Dre, the after party with Dr. Dre. <laughs> so like, I, I, it was, it was a memorable moment and it taught me a lot around just like raising the bar, you know, like I don't need to go down and I don't need to go into fight mode that my love can really bring the best out of both of us. And we can have, we had a nice moment <laughs> in the back of the bus in the bedroom. <laughs> That's amazing. High five. High five. <laughs> 
talk about talk about presence of mind, like to own it. And I think that's what did it is that you owned it. It's like maybe maybe so this would be obvious to someone else, but it wasn't obvious to me, right? And it's like, what are you gonna what are you gonna say in that moment? Like, are you gonna call someone dumb? Like, uh, he, I suppose he could have, but like, I'm that's respect to you for having the presence of mind in that moment to own it fully and to like to risk to risk looking foolish is really the word like but you took that risk on and by stepping into that you know you gave him the opportunity to be like oh oh okay and and because i'm gonna almost guarantee he didn't really know what to do in that situation you know because he was he doesn't sound like a bad guy because a bad guy in that moment like all right get out right but he doesn't sound like fundamentally a bad guy it might have been his first time ever doing something like that to be honest like (laughs) oh i've got it that's gonna be my guess he'd never done anything like that before thought he could pull it off didn't pull it off and still needed to save face with his guys. That's my guess. That's the story that I'm That's amazing. Yeah. And afterwards, my girlfriends were like, we were really worried. We shouldn't have let you go on that bus. I'm like, you guys knew what was going to happen. <laughs> Cause I was, I was just so naive in it. Like, but it ended up being a great story and a great life experience. It is. And Chef Dora just made a really good point, really courageous to state, to state your boundaries and, that's true. That's true. You were very courageous. And I think, and I think what, what made it acceptable was that you didn't go into defensive mode. Like I would never do something like that. Get me out of here. What is this all about? Like you didn't go into that mode. You're just like, Oh, I'm really stupid. It's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> you didn't say that, but you know what I mean? Like, Oh, okay. Oh, all right. No problem. Very cool. I, when it comes to boundaries, I find that so many people are, I like how you just worded that because they are defensive when they say it. And that creates like Byron Katie, who's one of my teachers, she says defense is the first act of war and we make things complicated. So if there, if there, something's going on, it's like, Hey, that doesn't work for me because what I see happening is quite often we have to shame somebody to justify our boundaries. It's like, we need to make them wrong or we need to like put them down or what they want is, is not okay. And then it's okay for me to say what I want and what I don't want. And so I really work with people to be able to draw boundaries out of love instead of fear. And so then just, and and it's also just making a request, like, here's what works for me. Does that fit for you in this moment in your life or whatever it is? Because in relationships, there's a lot of times I find that women are like pushing their expectations upon a man. And this is my boundaries. I also think the words being a bit overused sometimes um, in that of like, no, this is your request. Does he want that? Check and see if he wants it, because if so, you can have a life together. And if not, you need to acknowledge that and remedy it, mm-hmm. whatever that's going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great observation because a lot of people, they're not sure, they're not sure how to simply state boundaries from an embodied position. They have to be in a position of total safety because I think in the past, I'm going to speculate where they've tried to assert boundaries, it's they've been overpowered by a parent, right? And so so yeah trying to assert boundaries in the past with a parent or some other authority figure or someone who had power over them somehow that the boundaries were just run over. And so the response in that moment, which could be to simply assert, to assert presence is to go into some state where you're trying to replay the past and to overpower the person who has no intention, probably to overpower you, to overpower them with shame and then to put the wall down instead of to simply like be in your body and to say like, no, this is this is my boundary, and this is who I am, and that's okay. And and I, I think that there's a lot, there's a there's a lot of work that needs to be done now. Maybe not in the past, but now to get people familiar and comfortable enough 
to be able to assert boundaries in a healthy and productive way. That might not have been the case in the past, um, but it certainly, I think it certainly is now, especially around the issue of father hunger, because fa- the father is the one who teaches children, men and women, to have boundaries in very out in the world. That's the, the, the child grows to an age of like seven and begins going into the physical world out of the comfort of the home. The father passes the, down the ability to have healthy boundaries. And we have a father hungry world. And so where do those boundaries come from? Yeah. They come to yeah. all. Yeah. And I think that work that is that you just spoke about that is need that healing that's needed to be able to set clear boundaries is the same work that's needed to be able to hear another person's request. So like if your partner says like, you know, can you do this? And to not feel diminished by that or to get angry about it. Because sometimes when somebody makes a request, we get angry by it instead of just saying, that doesn't work for me because we, we feel like we have to do it. And if not, then we're going to be rejected or we're going to be judged. Because when I hear this thing of like being safe, it's like, I don't feel safe with you. Feeling safe is not a feeling. So say what it is that you're afraid of, because quite often it's judgment or it's rejection. So then own that and do your work there and take your safety as your responsibility when you're using the word safe in that moment, in that way. Because of what I hear people saying, I don't feel safe with you, is often around an emotional safety and it's connected to their own insecurities and their own not good enough. And they're putting their sense of safety on somebody or like their sense, they're making their safety somebody else's responsibility where that person, whatever they do, is never going to be able to heal that wound that's not making them feel safe in that moment. Oh, so high five again, by the way. so true it's so true that safety when you said safety is not a feeling like my brain stuck on that for a second because like i had to i had to i had to think through that because you're you're right it's it it's not and i can think of occasions where i've been like i don't like where i've been told i don't feel safe with you by by a woman it's like I'm the most agreeable guy in the world. Like now, now granted, like I'm, I have my own rough edges. I own them. I own them fully, but there've been moments where it's like, I've been told that I don't feel safe with you. And it's like, I have to tell you that that has nothing to do with me. I can't have a bigger smile on my face. I can't have more nurturing energy in my body. Right. I can't like, I'm trying to emote as, as safety as hard as I can. And there is something about this that isn't about me. And and that's been very difficult that, you know, to, to say that in a way that's like loving and present and clear. And that also makes clear that whatever it is that has been put on me for this past period of time clearly has nothing to do with me. And, and, and you can allow me to help you with it. Um, but I, I can't, I can't do anything about the way that you're feeling. And so when you say that, that's really, cause it's like, go talk to Justine <laughs> because <laughs> Well, I think there's a lot there. I think that there's a lot that you, because women's notions of safety, I'm going to, I'm going to speculate now because I talk to men a lot about anger. And so, and I think women's notions of safety is the mirror image to men in their relationship with anger. So we'll talk about men in their relationship with anger in a second, but women's notions of safety is not necessarily always tied to the moment that they're experiencing for the same reason that men in their feeling of anger, you may be really angry at something that has nothing to do with the moment that you're in, you're experiencing some outburst of anger as a result of a crossed boundary years ago that's coming out in an unproductive, uh, an unskillful moment, right? So that's what I tell men. It's like, look, your anger is legitimate. It just may be ill-timed. So that's a whole other conversation. So women and their feeling of safety, you may be feeling unsafe 
because some, something that happened to you in the past, and I can't go into the past and, 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 and address that. And I, I, me as a partner, I don't know how to address that. It's like, and so that's really good that you say that because there is some ownership of feeling in that. Like you have to own your ability, you have to own your feeling of safety. And what would it take for you to really find out why are you not feeling safe in, in this moment for yourself and then speak to it? Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of the work also that I do is like when, what I spoke about before is around getting accountable to what's the wounds that, that are inside that are causing this trigger. Mm. So in relationship, it's like, you know, you've triggered me in some way, but then if I just stay focused on you and we have a fight about that, but I don't know what is actually getting triggered deeper inside, then we're going to continue to repeat the same relationship problems over and over and over again. And so one, I help women to be able to approach from a more vulnerable standpoint. So it's like, I'm afraid. Okay. What is it that I'm afraid of? Mm -hmm. I'm afraid of judgment or rejection. Okay. What am I afraid of being judged as? That's going to give a core insight to a core wound. When did I first feel this way? Let's go and do some work around that. Somatic work, subconscious reprogramming work, inner child work, core wound work. So being able to do all of that. And I bring this in my, in my relationship courses. I'm like, if you want to have healthy relationships, you've got to do your healing Mm -hmm. because our subconscious mind is calling in a partner who's going to trigger you because it wants to be able to get it right. It wants to be able to heal it. So be aware of your triggers instead of thinking it's about the person so you can actually move beyond them. But if you think it's just about the person and you're not aware of the baggage that you're carrying, you're going to continue to repeat the problem because you're addressing the wrong problem. Yes. For both men and women, for both men and women. Oh yeah. That part's in both programs. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's really powerful. And that's, that's the, um, that's the benefit of the path that I've walked is to have done just an enormous amount of inner healing work, you know, breath work retreats and ayahuasca and EMDR and therapy and group work and hypnotherapy and family constellation therapy and Byron Katie stuff, sound healing, like you name it. I've, I've done them all and they've all been very valuable. Yeah. I have a, I have a slide that I did for a presentation where I listed, I went through and I thought about all the healing work that I had done. I was like, that's a lot, <laughs> you know, but that, that showed me the, the nature of my own subconscious mind, that there's so much that lives deeper in our subconscious. You know, the word is overused now, but we'll say trauma or we'll say, well, self-limiting beliefs or wherever you want to identify it, that I explain it to men, like, imagine that you have a wound in your body, like from high school, you know, you imagine you're, uh, you're running track and you sprain your knee and you're like 16 years old no big deal, right? You heal in a few weeks and you're back up running again. Well, as you get older, 30s, 40s, that sprained knee, like it's going to start to bother you again. And unless you really, really do the work to go in and and heal that sprained knee, what it's going to do is it's going to limit your flexibility. You'll find that you can't run, you know, you can't do a full squat, you can't kick, you can't do all these things unless you really go in and address the thing. And so now think about inner healing work as having emotional flexibility, as the ability to as the ability to go in, heal these things, so you have the full range of emotional flexibility. Now, why does this matter? And I, I got into a discussion with um, Alexander Cortez Ajak about this. He said the word trauma trauma is overused, and we should stop talking to it, talking about it. And I said, well, here's why here's why it seems like it's overused. Yes, it's overused, but here's why it's so important right now. Never in the history of humanity, I think, I think, has there been so much change in such a short amount of time. And the ability to adapt and flow with changing global cycles, whether it be war or pandemic or whatever, 
You have to have the ability to move supply chain shortages. You have to have the ability to change yourself and your thinking almost overnight in response to global impact events. And if, so if you have all this trauma, if you're burned down by all this trauma inside yourself, you as a man are not going to be able to be flexible enough to respond to these shifts and you're going to get stuck. And if you get stuck and you can't flow with the times, bad things. And so that's why, that's why I really break it down for men. It's like, you got to be open to doing this work. And so that's a big, that's a big thing that I'm working on is getting men to a state where they're, they understand the, the, I guess, the urgency in a way of doing that work. Because you have to be able to respond to the moment, not just respond to your partner, yes, to your partner, not just to respond to your kids and yes, to your kids, you have to be emotionally fluid enough to be able to respond to the world. And so that's inner healing work. And that's, that's, that's where it comes from. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree that the word trauma is overused. And so the way I like to try to bring in this is like, we've got big T trauma, which is the trauma that like most people are familiar with. And then small T trauma and the relational trauma. And that's where like the attachment style theory, anxious and dismissive, anxious, attached and dismissive avoidant comes through. And where it helps when I speak about a trauma response, when I'm working with couples is when the, um, let's just say the man's dismissive and the woman's anxious for this scenario that I'm about to go into. So (laughs) the, the woman, if she's in a place where, you know, she's really needs attention, she's sending a bunch of messages she's not able to give him his space. And then I help the man to see, you know, she's in a trauma response right now. She's not able to be relaxed because her brain is wired being like, you're going to be rejected right now. You're going to be abandoned. Your survival is at stake here because that's how her brain wired from an early age. And then when I help her to see a dismissive man who's withdrawing and taking his space and he's not able to continue to engage in the conversation, I said, he's in a trauma response right now because his brain is wired that intimacy is threatening. And that it's going to, he's going to lose his sense of self. And so his brain wired in a different way. So when I help them to see right now, he's not doing this and she's not doing this because he doesn't care and because she's just trying to like push her needs onto yours and, and take away yours. But I approach it instead from the standpoint, they're in a trauma response. I help them to see and understand where it comes from right now. They need you more than anything. So if you see that they're in a trauma response and you can come and hold consciousness and presence and you can just give space to it and you can give them what they need in order to feel safe. And then, so it helps to stop taking those things personal and to have more compassion mm-hmm. and compassion is our way to heal here. Mm-hmm. And so compassion and understanding, mm-hmm. which both of those are understanding is part of compassion. Cause I find compassion is the lucidity of the mind with the mercy of the heart. And so to be able to bring that in and I just find having that under awareness around a trauma response calls forth our love. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because you can see, you can see the, and I don't like the phrase, but I'll use it anyway. You can see the wounded child and the adult, right? Somehow you, you get a sense of that. So like you're seeing the trauma response and you know, you can imagine this child version of this woman or man that you love years before you met them having this response to this situation that they've now kept in their body and carried forward, you know, for however many, however many years. I, I remember I was doing men on a men's work weekend and uh, I got to do some healing work with a man who was 75 years old and he was carrying something from when he was like five, like 70 years of carrying that. And I was, I was like a, a key player in some, in some um, gestalt kind of work where I had to hold a particular kind of energy 
And so I was the one who got to see the, um, who got to see the hurt and pain in his eyes, like, and just me, because the way the, the way it was set up is he had to push me out the door and slam the door in my face. And so the lat, so as he's pushing me out the door and slamming the door in my face, I'm looking into his eyes and getting the full anger of this five-year-old kid, you know, who didn't have the ability to defend himself in that moment. He's pushing me out the door and slamming the door and I'm getting 70 years of pain directly into my eyes. And like, it, it wasn't something that hurt to, to see in that way, but it was like to really appreciate the depth of suffering that lives in, in humanity, that lives in people that we don't, we don't every day get the chance to address, right? We, we, you know, we have to create specific scenarios and weekends and situations to begin to address that. And yet everyone's walking around with it all the time, all the time, yeah. right? And so the ability to bring consciousness and love to it <clears throat> outside from a yeah. healing practitioner and then to learn to internalize it for ourselves is one of the greatest gifts of being alive in this moment that we all have the opportunity to do that if, if we accept the responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what you just shared right there is some of the beauty that I was talking about before around what's happening when I'm working with the men, because I'm going in when we have the, I have live coaching calls with them. So then I am doing some of this deeper work, like, all right, let's clear what's there so that you're able to be able to respond instead of react you're able to hold that, have that emotional resiliency. And when we do that kind of deep work in the presence of men being with other men and the way, like one man's being in the hot seat and every other man's like, oh my God, yes. And they get so much healing that takes place. And then they get to validate and share like, this is what I just got from your process. So they're all healing together and we get to go in and do that deeper work to, and Will, I, I like it because you and I have, um, similar trigger words. Like we don't like some of the same words out there. Like I, I, this wounded self, like I do have an aversion to that word or toxic masculinity. And I think you and I have a, a similar like shit list for our vocabulary that we don't like. <laughs> Maybe we have to do an IG live just for around that. Like here's the words that we don't like and why. In hundred percent, just a list. Yeah. Um, I, that would be a really fun discussion. And I, I, I liked it. Like I, I do do inner child work because I think sometimes it's what's important and needed to heal. But I, I sometimes like to be you know, like, okay, let's go talk like to that four-year-old self. What was it like for that four-year-old kid to be that? What did that, what beliefs did that kid make up about themselves and about the, about the world and about people? So instead of wrapping it up in a term, let's talk about what it is that's really there and flesh it out. Mm -hmm. And so, the, and there's like different tricks to go in and do that work because sometimes the mind's too guarded and blocked to be able to access our four-year-old self. So yes, yes. Got to get around it somehow. Yeah. And that's, well, that's why, that's why there are whole ritualistic, I guess we'd say weekends. Ritualistic is, is probably too creepy of a word, but like, it's a real thing, you know, ceremonial ritualistic weekends where men are taken into what's called imaginal space, right? It's an initiation. It's an initiation. You're taken into imaginal space where you, you cross, a, uh, cross a physical threshold and in your own mind, you put yourself into a new, a new um, we might say mental or spiritual threshold. Well, technically all you've done is you've entered a building, you've knocked on a door and entered a building, but, but you accept in the moment the dramatization that when you cross this threshold, you are entering into a process. It's just a set of beliefs. And in the construction of that weekend, in the construction of that process, men get the opportunity, this is the work that I've done, to address that stuff around other men. And this is the work that I'm super passionate about because so much of, so much of men's behavior, misbehavior, misbehavior these days, wasn't tolerated 
by villages or tribes or towns. It just wasn't tolerated. It's like if you act, if you act a fool, if you like, say you're in a village of a hundred, a hundred people, hundred people total, right? Men and women. Every fighting age man is of value because you're going to have some, if you have, if it's 50, 50, you're going to have some young children and you're going to have some old men and you're going to have some percentage of men that are fighting age. Every single one of those fighting age men is necessary for securing meat and for defending the village. If one guy is acting a fool and gets five guys, five fighting age men killed, the village probably will die. It'll probably die because that means that there's five there's five women that won't have one part that won't have partners to reproduce with. You'll have you know five less guys on the hunt, right? So men didn't have the ability to act the fool. Like everyone was at risk if you act this way. Now we live in these big detached kind of cities, and so men can just be useless or they can be crazy or whatever, and there's no one checking them. And so for men to go into the forest, what men used to do is like if a guy's having a problem, we're going to take you into the forest and we're going to work this out as men, and we're going to engage in whatever we need to. If you got to work it out with a guy, if you got to get in a fight with him, if you got to be initiated, if you got to go in, if you got to have some demons cast out of you or whatever it is, we're going to go handle this as men so that we can get back to the business of living. And those processes have been denied of men, denied of men. And this is the process. This is what I talk about. Like, in fact, I was on a phone call with a woman a while back and she was talking about how she had been in a genuinely like criminally abusive situation with her, with her former husband. And she was talking she was talking about my work and she's like, well, you know, a lot of women are really skeptical about men because of experiences like this. And so you want to make men more powerful. Like, why would we want that? Because I had this experience. I said, look, what I'm talking about has nothing to do with your ex who was a criminal. He was, I mean, he wasn't arrested, but he was, what I said, what he did was, what I said was that he, what he did was criminal. In the past, that man would have had five men around him that they took him into the forest and they got out of him whatever they needed to get out of him because they would be able to say, we saw you or we heard you on the phone with your wife and that is not okay. Cut that shit out. Men used to do that for each other. Now it doesn't happen. And so what you're talking about with men being able to address their inner wounds, inner child work or whatever, that was what men just did for each other so that we could show up for women and we could show up for ourselves and we could show up for our tribe. And now men are atomized. Their men are atomized, and that work needs to come back for men, sacred processes out of the view of society. What happens out there in the forest stays in the forest. We're going to get this job done so we go about the business of living. So this is stuff that I'm really passionate about, as you might be able to tell. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I feel before there was a thing of honor, which you spoke about at the very beginning. And so men were upholding each other. There was the family honor. There was the tribe honor. There's a societal honor. And, and that's getting lost. Like honor and values and principles, they're not at the forefront. And that's a key part of masculinity is like, what are your values and principles? What are you living for? Because that's a very important part to be connected with. And so I, in the very beginning of my program, I'm like, okay, guys, what are your values? What are your principles? And what is your mission? Because you got to have something that you're living for and committed to. And if not, then you do get taken in all of these different directions, emotionally, and then how to respond in a certain situation, because you don't have any values or principles that are holding you and guiding you. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have other men also reflecting that bit to you, like, hey, this is what we're living for. This is what we're living by. This is the kind of man we said that we wanted to be and reflecting that back. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I absolutely, again, community, tribe, brotherhood, so important. I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that you see that because it, it's it's very much like it, it's framed in many ways. And if men 
There was a movement in the um, there was a movement in the 1980s in the 90s called the Myth of Poetic Men's Movement. <clears throat> and by the way, just to your point of honor, one of the books um, that I recommend to you and that I recommend to all men is The Way of Men by Jack Donovan, where he talks about honor as this really powerful. There's four tactical virtues: strength, courage, mastery, and honor. That these are the four virtues that men select the best of each other by. So if a man is the strongest, is the most mastery, is the most courageous and the most honorable, that is the best men according to men's values. And honor is an important part of that because again, if you have a small group of guys, which he frames as the gang, right? You want the strongest men, you want the most courageous men, you want the man who's mastered the most skills or the most valuable skill, and you want that man to be honorable and that's the man that men choose as the best among them. And the men, and the way that it works is, the men that men select as the best are the women are the men that the women select as the best too. So men do the sorting function of each other. And so, but, but so men becoming more powerful is framed in, in, in the feminist narrative and the cultural narrative as a bad thing because men are inherently bad. It's like, well, no, when men become what they are and men are allowed to determine what that is based on universal guiding principles, you, what you actually get is you get great men who are a threat to the, hierarchical unjust power structures right and so that's what you actually get but but there's this fear of what men can be it's like no no no. like when men are given the opportunity to be what they are what men become is beautiful you know and yeah. that was my own journey was to come into reconcil- reconciliation with myself as a man and the lord of the rings movies were pretty fundamental to that but um and so now i've, I've been able to land to that and see myself and through all these different situations where i've seen the way that i've shown up in life and death situations and high stress emotional situations and situations where it was all put on me. I've seen the way that I showed up and I earned my own trust. And I realized like, well, wait a minute, I'm a man. I'm not that bad. Maybe men aren't that bad. And so that's been really powerful for me. So I'm grateful that you give men ch- the chance to see that because men should get that wherever they can find it. Yeah. Yeah. And to speak about what you're saying here of like your experience as a man and and society, I want to bring it down to relationships because work that I do with women is like the more trust that you give your man, the more control you hand over, the more that you surrender, you will call forth the best in your man. Like you will make him want to be the best version of himself from the best place, not from a wounded place, like not from like, oh, I'm not good enough and I need to prove myself, but because of who you are and the love that you give him and the trust that you give him. And he like, he wants to cherish that in such a way and it makes him want to be a better man. And I've heard this in the interviews because inter- I've interviewed a lot of men and I give the women access to those interviews who do my women's program so that they can hear from men personally, all of the things that they're learning. And that, so it's not just me. It's like trying to teach about, Hey, hey this is how guys are, but this is how men are. And, and I ask men, what makes you want to be the better version of yourself? What makes you want to improve in the relationship? And then they're giving the women like the roadmap, you know, take accountability for your emotions. Don't blame me and believe in me and trust in me. Yeah. And like your belief, in me, I've had men say, when you believe in me, it helps me to step up. When you doubt me, even though I've given you reasons to doubt me, it makes it harder. And I explained that to the women of why that happens on a hormonal level. Like when you doubt him and you criticize him and you blame him and you complain, you point out what's wrong and what hasn't been done right or at the right time. This is what you're doing to him on a hormonal level. You are diminishing his testosterone. You're diminishing his vasopressin. He needs those hormones to take action. Without vasopressin, he's sitting on the couch with no mojo to get up. 
And so this is the way that you can help to produce testosterone and vasopressin in his body, or this is what you do to diminish it. And so really helping women to see if you want a man who's like in his sacred masculine, his divine masculine, his conscious masculine, whatever, surrender, because that will call it forth. And so then we need to work to be able to like work through all of their fears around doing that. But yeah. That's, I mean, this is, this is where, where I have begun my research is, is understanding the actual, the actual biological differences, because there's this debate happening, obviously, in the world right now, where it's like, men and women are the same. Men can become women and women can become men. It's just as simple as how you feel inside. Whatever, we'll set that aside. But so <laughs> I have this book. So, okay. So um, from a materialist perspective, they're able to make that argument. Like, oh, it's just all socialization. We're mostly the same, et cetera. It's crap. But like, they make that argument. Now, the people who have pushed back have previously, uh, they're called essentialists, that there is an essential difference between men and women, and that exists on a spiritual level. So if you read like Robert Bly, Iron John, that book speaks to the essential nature of men. It's one of many, but it speaks to the essential transcendent nature of man that does not change through time. That's, that's one example. The Bible is another one, but you know, that, that's, that's another great example. But there is an essential difference between the two. Okay, so for people who are material, materialists in nature, who believe in science, science, right, they don't find that convincing because they don't believe in a soul for whatever reason. They believe in the science. So there's this book that I, that I found recently called uh, The Essential Difference by Simon Baron Cohen. And it's about the fundamental brain differences between men and women, that our brains which is as close as a materialist is going to get to a soul is are fundamentally wired differently, like in, in very important ways. So I haven't yet gotten to the hormonal things, but the things you're talking about with hormones, like the brain, the hormones are the most powerful thing in our body. Like big magic is what the bronze age, bronze age, the book bronze age mindset says is like hormones are big magic. So speak more about that. Like, where did you learn about this? What resources did you go to? Because this is a really powerful argument for people that are really um, committed to the science. Yeah. And in my courses, I go a lot into the brain structure as well. Um, and so where, where there's the male brain, there's the female brain. John Gray has a lot of book around stuff around the hormones. I'd have to go back and look at my own references to see where it comes from. But just to give you an idea, because there's a lot there around how our brains are different. And the, the thing is, is that our brains are shifting and changing. So before, when there were really clear gender roles, that our brains were different. Now that the gender roles in our society and what we're doing is becoming um, more blurred, our brains are adapting to that. So in there are, it's not a unilateral difference, like all women's brains are like this and all men's brains are like that, but there are some generalized differences. And so for instance, let's go around communication. Women have a large center in the left hemisphere of their brain for communication and a small one in the right. Men do not have a specific area in their brain for communication. When we have a specific area in our brain that's located or that is used for a specific task, then it tends to be easier for us or we might even um, be able to be better at it in some ways. And there's other things also that come up with that. So with, for instance, when a man starts to talk, it consumes the entire left side of his brain because he doesn't have a specific area. 
So he's not available to do other things when he's talking. Like, whereas for me, like I multitask, I am the queen of multitasking. So I, and I have literally done coaching sessions with friends because they're like, Justine, I need your support. And I'm like, I don't have time, but I'm going to cook or I'm going to work out. You can come over and talk to me during those times. And I literally do a coaching session while doing those things. Now, trying to talk to my partner while he's making a sandwich and then wanting that information to be valid later on. Nope. Doesn't happen. And they have done studies where they have found that when a man's reading, he's literally deaf. Like a woman comes and she says something, but he will not necessarily hear it because his brain is focused on something else and his brain doesn't work the same way hers does. Feel so called. And so (laughs) what? I feel so called out right now, like being deaf while reading. (laughs) Yeah. And so I, because women get frustrated with that stuff or like, and I was working with a couple recently where he, they're going to go on a trip. And he was saying, you know, what happens is like, we'll read this plaque. And then when we walk away from that plaque, I'm still thinking about it. And then she starts talking to me and I give a response that doesn't really have anything to do with what she says. And then she gets upset. I'm not present. I'm not connected. I'm not listening to her. And he's like, but I was off on a whole journey in my head. And so I said, tell her this because she's gone through my my woman's program, he's gone through my men's program. And I was like, tell her this, communicate it to her. She's going to love getting to hear what's actually going on for you. Because if you don't tell her that, she's going to think you're not present and you don't care and you're this and you're that. So when he went and shared with her, like, hey, honey, this is what goes on for me in those moments. She's like, thank you so much. Like she met it in such a beautiful way. Like that's so helpful. So next time, if it looks like you're off and contemplating something, I won't speak. And then if I go to talk, I'm going to just check in like, hey, are you available to have a little conversation right now? And they're just created so much more space. And he felt so understood and received by that. And so he goes, well, I've got more to tell you. Like, I want to talk about this then. <laughs> and they had an amazing conversation. But we don't, it's, it, we don't know that those are different because we just assume the other person's the same. So he wouldn't even think to have to like, hey, this is what's happening for me. And so I really try to help one for men to understand themselves. Cause I don't think they put, they, they don't articulate these things. So there's times in my, for, like there was one incident in my members program where I was saying, again, you know, driving and talk or doing something and talking men I have heard where they'll say like, can you be quiet? I'm trying to drive because there's all of this talking that's going on in the car and they're trying to focus on driving. There's a brilliant scene in Yellowstone, which I love that series where these guys are getting in the car and the girlfriend's getting in. And she's like, hey, what are we going to listen to? And the guy's like, the air condition. (laughs) It's like silence, no talking. But when I explained to men why that was happening for them and why it doesn't even occur as an issue for a woman because of her ability to talk and do other things and to multitask, then he was like, oh, my God, you're so right. So then he learned sometimes when I'm driving, especially when I'm like needing to follow directions or there's traffic or something like that, I may not want to be engaging in a conversation. So to know that about himself and then to be able to communicate to that, his woman sets them up for success rather than having an issue, having a fight and having a problem. So it's just helping people to understand themselves and how to communicate to their partner that way. Mm -hmm. And then so much more harmony, less problems, less fighting, less misunderstanding and misinterpretation that's happening. I just want to validate what you said because when I park, I have to turn the stereo down. And I've noticed like, <laughs> my car, hold on while I do. Now I'm not nothing different is happening except for the fact that I'm driving more slowly into a specific spot. But I have to turn the stereo down. Right. And I was like, I noticed that recently. I'm like, why do I do that? I don't know. 
but I need to do that. So that's, that's really true. It's like I'm single focus, as Alison Armstrong says. And you know what I think what's, what's, really, what, what's really important about the bit that you said about the, you know, the, the man has read the plaque and now he's off on this journey in his mind and the woman's talking to him and whatever. What, what do you think I think is the most important thing about that interaction? I don't know. What? That does, which, which direction? <laughs> for, uh, in, in the relationship. So he's off on his inner experience. And, she, and, and he says, oh, babe, I was, uh, he says, I was, I was just thinking about something. I was just off on, I was thinking how all these thoughts in that moment, what's, there's something really important that I, maybe, maybe I'm not setting you up to succeed here, but what, I mean. Let me try. Let me try. <laughs> Let's see. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll be curious to hear your point, but I, I see that the woman has expectations of how the man should be and how he should respond and how he should act. Did I get it right? Yes. <laughs> High five again. Yeah. yeah she didn't she she validated his inner experience like she didn't validate it in the way of saying it's okay she accepted that he as a man is allowed to have his own inner experience of reality and didn't say that didn't have the expectation that he should be something other than what he is you know it's like oh well you never listen and men are so un- insensitive or you're not present or daydreaming or whatever it's like she didn't shame him in that moment she accepted that the man's mind is doing something very different from her mind and she let him have that. And that's, I mean, that that's, I would call that love, but there's something more to it than that, which is an understanding of men. Yeah. Yeah. And she was so, she just like, sweetheart, if you ever want to be together and you want it to be silent and we're just like there, let me know. I will so support shared silence. Cause I know that you really need that. And she's like, and if we don't set that, I'm a chatterbox. She's like, I'll keep on talking, but I know that that's not what's always best for you. And I really hear that now. Mm-hmm. And so I love how she then heard him, understood him, and then projected it into the future on how to best really support him and have him have fulfilling interactions as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now I, have a, now I have a question for you because men, th- there's another word that I think is probably on our shit list, which is mansplaining, right? Okay. Yeah, great. Okay. Right. Mega shit list. So, okay. <laughs> no, terrible. I mean, look, there is a way that a man can speak to a woman in a condescending manner because she's a woman. Like that's a thing, right? But that's not the default every time a man speaks to a woman, right? It's like someone would look at this like, oh, Will's mansplaining right now, right? If you choose to view your life through that lens. So like but for a man who has a lot of thoughts that he wants to share with his woman, there's two school, there's two schools of thought in the men's movement. There's one school of thought that says men should never share about their inner reality and you should save that you should save that for uh, your bros right in fact there was a there's a book that i sent you uh, the wall speaks by jer right it's the one i said you didn't have a chance to read it yet obviously but like there's that don't say anything say the minimal amount to your woman possible then there's another side that says women actually like men to tell them what's going on with them to a degree like obviously don't spell out all your secrets and you know and, and emotionally dump on your woman like that's not that's not good for anybody, but the degree to which, where some men will say women like being mansplained too. I don't think they, the guy, guys mean it in a joking kind of way, but share what's going on, share your thoughts, share the things, you know? So on one side, it's like, don't talk to her at all. The other side is like, talk about a lot of things. Where do you stand on this? Cause I can't answer that question. I can obviously talk a lot. <laughs> so I think when a man's in the midst of something, so if he's emotional and he's confusing to I think it's best to go to his man friends, to go to his therapist's coach and to, and to work on that. And afterwards come and share it with your woman. 
because she wants to hear those things. So that's being emotionally accessible. Here's the journey that I was on. Right. But I do not encourage men when they're in the midst of their emotions to go and talk to their woman and get support from their woman because that will produce oxytocin in him and it will produce vasopressin in her. Vasopressin is the main male hormone. So it puts her in her masculine and him in his feminine. And while she wants to be there for her, for him, afterwards, she does not feel good about it. She doesn't respect him as much. She doesn't trust him as much. And then she feels really guilty about it because she's going, okay, I want to be there for him. I don't want to have a double standard. But when he comes to me and he's processing all of his emotions with me, what happens is she wants to be able to rely on him. Like her feminine wants this guy to protect her and provide for her. But if he's consumed with his own emotions, then he's not available to support her. At least she thinks that in that moment. And so she feels guilty about it, especially if she asked and encouraged him, oh, come and share it with me. And then afterwards, she's like, oh, now, like, I'm feeling this way. And, and there's, I, so I try to help to, for the women to not feel shame around this, just to not put out invitations and encourage behavior that isn't, gonna, in the end, going to serve them or their man. Mm-hmm. And so I'm all for men sharing. But I think to do it from a place of like, go to your, your man friends to work through some stuff, some stuff you can work through your partner, but I do, I don't recommend having a pattern of it all of the time. Right. Right. No, that really, that really lands for me because, um, I was in a, I was in a relationship not too long ago and, um, I got, I got really sick and I went through a lot of, I might say professional, professional challenges, let's say related to some other things. And I was feeling really, really down, like and I think a lot of it was related to the illness, which we shall shall not name. And and it was it really put me in state of depression, like active depression, where that I hadn't been in for like 20 years. Like I was as low as I've ever been. Lower. Like to the point, like I wasn't like suicidal. It wasn't like that. But it was like I was literally having thoughts of like, you know what I think I want to do today? I think I want to draw all the curtains and turn all the lights off and just like sit in the corner of my apartment all day. I think I'm just going to do that, which is completely unusual for me. Like I lost all my motivation to do anything, all my drive, all my hope. And I'm a pretty hard charging, motivated, positive guy. So this was like me not being me. And and I had suffered some, some, some pretty devastating setbacks as well that wasn't necessarily related. And I remember that there was a moment where I like fully broke down in this, in this relationship. It ended not long after. Now, I, so I can see that, like, it's fine. Like it wasn't like, it wasn't like looking back and saying that, you know, oh my gosh, I shouldn't do that. Let me, let me pick up the phone and call. But I can definitely see how it would have created that effect. And like, it was where I needed to be at the time because I was not in any fit state, you know, which happens, right? Like shit happens. And so there's got to be room. There's got to be room for grace in that where it's like, sometimes you're going to take a big L, right? And that's just how it's going to be. And, and there's, a, there's a degree of support, but I can definitely see and it, from that experience that it's like, yeah, that would be really hard for anyone to take on when, you know, a guy who's, a super hard charging positive guy becomes very much not that be really, really tough. So I think I'll make a phone call and, and offer some appreciation to her for being there for me in that moment. Um, you know, um, and so I, I can see that for sure. That's true. And I know that's true. And it was like, <clears throat> it was definitely not me. So there's something else going on. Yeah. And in saying that, like, I'm speaking to how ideally to structure the relationship, because there is a lot of people in society saying, Oh, you know, men be vulnerable. Like when I sent you the email, I was like, I thought about not putting that word vulnerable in there, but I was so glad that I did because I got your article. So good. In saying that, like, I also sometimes like shit does hit the floor, hit, hit the fan, hit the floor, hit the fan in the floor. Both. Um, and you're gonna, and and you're gonna go through a weak moment or a hard moment, a challenging moment, 
And I, in a relationship, like I'm all for then like, all right, so I'm here for you and, and this is okay and supporting it. So I'm not saying like, don't do that. Like, this is what's needed in that moment, but don't make a pattern out of it. Right. Don't make a, don't, don't structure your relationship with this kind of dynamic in it, where you're going to your woman for support. Got it. So when it happens, yes, absolutely. Like, and then I'm like, he's going through a difficult time. You got to step up and you got to be there. He needs you at this time. And this is what love does. And when he comes out of it, restructure this dynamic. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's a really important bit of nuance because it's really easy for men in the red pill manosphere space to take knowledge like that. Like, you, you know, a, a man when he shares his emotions with his woman makes her feel unsafe and she begins to doubt him. It's really easy for men to take that idea and take it to the extreme and say that like, she's going to leave and you should never, um, she's, she, she's going to never, she's going to never trust you again to take it like, Oh, so you can never do that. And, and men, men do that, right? They like, they men, a lot of men in the red pill space, they come from very narcissistic, narcissistically, narcissistically wounded backgrounds with their mothers. And then they overcorrect and take on what um, they believe is the image of masculinity that they get from a lot of movies and TV shows and stuff like that. And they think that they're supposed to be like Joker or Patrick Bateman to be completely inaccessible. And so they have this belief that if I open up to the woman that I'm with, that she's going to, that she's now going to abandon me because they hear very rightfully that a woman like can feel very, um, very threatened by a man who's overly emotional. So they take that to the extreme and they say, okay, I'm not going to be emotional at all. And so one of the dialogues that's happening right now around this very issue is, is men learning to say like, no, like, like Pat Stedman. Pat Stedman's amazing. He sent out an email yesterday to this very point. He said, the subject line of the email was, um, do women leave men who fail? And he was like, no, they don't. Because he transitioned from his previous career into being a relationship coach and said that he wasn't making income. I can't remember if he said for like two years or five years because he was ramping up his coaching business. Now he's wildly successful, but at the time his, his now wife and the mother of the, of, of their child daughter is, you know, is now a stay at home mom and she provides for them. But for a, a period of time, she was the sole breadwinner. He's like, no, she didn't leave me because I, because I failed because I maintained confidence in the direction that I was going. So he didn't make it a pattern. You know, he, he didn't, as you're saying, which is the important bit of nuance, like just because you take an L doesn't mean you're going to lose your relationship. Don't overreact to it. If you're truly loved and embraced, like you can be emotionally accessible and still be safe. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's two things that I want to speak there was one is I find so much in this work. Like when I go to say something, people are taking it to the extreme and then I'm like, but that's not what I said. Or I say, like, it even happened on, on, this convert, on this call where I was saying something about how I really enjoy being on the receiving end of a man's strength. That doesn't mean that I can't be strong. It's like, because I assert something in the positive, then somebody flips it around and says, but I want this. Like, there's so many assumptions. And like, I just wish that, and I heard you in one of your talks around this, I think, where it's like, can we just have a dialogue about it instead of you just throwing back? like your opinion around it, like, let's get curious. Let's have a conversation around this and explore it. Is this what you meant by that? And let's explore the nuances. There's always nuances. Nothing is black and white. I'm speaking about generalizations and they don't apply to everybody because we have like the, I work with men who are really masculine and it's about developing some empathy, sensitivity, and communication skills. 
And I work with men who are really feminine and need to develop some of masculinity and take initiative and have more confidence and courage and, and, and live on that edge. And same with women. Like I work so in, in all of this domain of being able to work with both of those different sides, everything is nuanced. So take the information that works for you. What doesn't put it aside, don't bitch about it and complain about it. Like it's just like <laughs> then get curious like like you did. And so I think that that's so important that we don't take things to the extreme. Like hear what's being said. You, when a man comes and he shares what's going on for him, that creates an intimacy. A woman is longing for that. She wants that. This is the best way to deliver it for her. Mm-hmm. And we love each other and we're going to support each other outside of our gender roles. But when we're aware of our gender roles, that's how to keep the spark alive. That's how to keep the relationship functioning and thriving in a really healthy standpoint. And that you talk about that a lot of this is a physiological response and hormones. Like if you get sensitive enough to your body, you can actually feel the physical state change. And so if you can, if, if you're a man and you're going through this or, or a woman as well, and you feel your physiology begin to change in response to a situation, chances are it's probably changing for him, for her too, and or him, and for that matter. And that would be a good time to begin transitioning out of that. That maybe you've gone too far, right? You can feel the hormonal shift happening. It's like maybe now, maybe this is not the place to be with it. Yeah. One of my guys was saying how, like, he's a very successful man. He's confident, he's charismatic. But in his relationship, because his, his wife was like complaining and criticizing, he just never did anything right. And he's like, I started to become really insecure. And he's like, I, I doubted myself. I wasn't taking action. And he's like, I could even say I was kind of depressed for some years. And then he did my program, Lead Your Love. And he was like, I understand what happened to me then. He didn't have a context. He didn't know what was going on. But when I said, when, you know, the woman acts like this, it can have this impact. It's having this hormonal effect. And he's like, now I see what it was that was going on. And then he learned to shift it in a different way. He can work with his own hormones. He doesn't have to be a victim of his woman's actions because he can respond in a certain way to improve the relationship. He doesn't need to just wait on his woman to do something different. And so then he had perspective on what was happening because he felt it. And now he had the words and the clarity to be able to explain what his experience was. And that's really helpful. That's, that is really helpful. That's really helpful. I don't, know if, I don't know if too many women doing work like this with men. I really don't. Um, it's very, it's very rare. As I've said that I feel like I've, I've read or have met or or read content around a woman who I think has it right and has the right relationship with men and is aware of blind spots and limitations. And that's, that's amazing. What an incredible gift to be able to give that to men and to their partners as well. Thank you. And it's such a joy because I get to learn so much out of it too. Like I love going into these. I, I love my group calls with the guys. It's just, I, I, I can't believe that I get paid for this in a way I could hang out. And <laughs> I'm like, this is so amazing. And, and I show up better in my relationship. I learned so much from these men as well. And it's, so it's, it's such a beautiful journey. That's amazing. That's, that's, it's why we do this. Like there's so much work to be done, you know, worldwide in, in our own circles. I mean, for certain people that are sensitive to the amount of work and how necessary it is and, and how unique this moment is like a lot of people say, Oh, is the world ending? Right. It's a big question. And, and a lot of people say, Oh, well, people have been saying the world has been ending forever. Like you can go back. There's actually a Wikipedia article where you can see the different end times prophecies throughout the centuries, right? Oh, this group said it was going to end here and here and here. And right. So 
so people say, oh, it's ending because of technology. It's like, well, technology has become more advanced, but it may not necessarily be ending. I said, here's my evidence for why the progression of history is linear and not cyclical. Because right now, there is more information available about inner healing and transformation than has ever been available in human history. If you wanted to transform yourself inwardly previously, either you couldn't or you had to travel for hundreds or perhaps thousands of miles to some monastery and engage in a monster or like talk to a priest or something like that. And, you know, that was, that was it. Those were your options that most people wouldn't do. Now you are one click away, one Google search away from information that completely can revolutionize your inner reality, that can guide you towards peace and harmony in your relationships, transformation, release of trauma, whatever it is you want. All of that is, is within your fingertips. That's unique in human history. That's never happened before. And so to, to see that and to be the sort of person who knows that and to take that on and to offer that to people, I mean, you know, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a real gift. So I'm, I'm, grateful. I'm grateful to be able to share this with you because, you know, there's a lot of work to do specifically in this realm around men and women. And to do it right is so important because it's, it's the most fundamental bond we have. Mm, yeah. Well, I would love for us to continue to have some of these conversations and topics. And I think that we've already started to like, you know, we're going to have our shit, our shit vocabulary list conversation. And, you know, and maybe that's something that people can put in the comments too, like who have heard this conversation that we've had to put some comment in the comments of other things that you would like for Will and I to talk about, because I mean, I could do this all day long. I think people's attention span only have maybe an hour. I don't even know how long we've been going at this point, but I'd love to come back and, and do more of this because I think that we're, we're addressing really important things here. And I want to continue to have this conversation. And, you know, you, you've got a lot of men following you. I've got a lot of women following me. And so just like, this is a way for us all to come together and, and to have these conversations. And so I absolutely invite any requests or topics in the comments whether you're watching this now or, or the replay. And I think Will and I will happily <laughs> engage in this. Happily. Well, do you, want to, do you want to spend five minutes talking about polarity? Because Sacred Wildman just mentioned polarity. We didn't actually get to polarity. I don't know if we should save that for another time. If you, there's some series of thoughts we want to put in there real quick. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm such a strong promoter of polarity because I find for for one, for many things in the relationship, I think that it's a key in in a heterosexual relationship. I think it's a key where you know what actually I've worked with with same sex relationships. Polarity is there, like one is in the masculine, one is in the feminine. This is what creates the attraction, and so this is like and that can switch around. But so in a heterosexual relationship, and the man is in his masculine, the woman is in his feminine. This is going to create so especially it's okay. <sighs> There's so much I want to say on this topic. My brain's trying to get it all out in one go. So (laughs) off the bus. Um, Okay. In a long-term relationship, you don't have the happy hormones intoxicating you and bringing forth that desire and that passion. The dopamine is not there. That was in the beginning. One of the ways that couples can be able to have that dopamine come is by being different. And that is the man being in his masculine and the woman being in her feminine. Then you're not, oh, we're the same and we've been together for 20 years. But there is that difference and that will help for dopamine to be produced. And so that is something that, because one of the talks that I give is like how to keep the spark alive. Mm -hmm. How to keep the spark alive is by having polarity in your relationship. And there's multiple ways that I go about with people around how to do that. 
especially in long-term relationships, because it takes work to keep the spark alive. You know, if you don't tend to the fire, it goes out. And that's just the reality of what happens. Mm -hmm. And so I find polarity is important for the the strength and the fulfillment of of a relationship also on an individual level. Like when I'm, I'm, I'm a woman who's lived a lot of my life in my mask. I've got a strong masculine, but my body is a woman's body. And so if I function in my masculine, I am taxing my body so much. I need to be producing my feminine hormone, my female hormones in order for my physical health. And if I don't do that now, when I go into menopause, it's going to suck. Because like I've taxed my adrenals, which are going to be the main source for my female hormones after menopause. And so I help women to see this, like you want to act in this way, not just for your man, but for yourself, your physical body needs it. Our bodies, like they were not designed to live in these environments and to be living in our masculine and working in our masculine all day. Totally fine. Go and do it. But you've got to balance it out at the end of the day, whether you're single or in a relationship. And be able to nurture your feminine body. Your woman's body needs different things. And it's different things. Like a bath is going to do something for me that cave time does for you. You may not get the same stuff that a bath (laughs) gives me. And I may not get the same time as like cave time gives to you. Like we can have different needs and to allow those different needs to be present. Mm -hmm. And so I would say as a quick response to what can I say about polarity that's going to be my, my the summary, and then I can break that down for hours, and days, and months. <laughs> I think that would be that'd be worthy of its own conversation because I, I think that there is there's a lot of that. Again, I, I put the initiative on men because I think that's where it belongs. I think the initiative, um, whether whether or not it ends up and being there in the relationship, you know, you can have a relationship where a, a man is not necessarily in his masculine, a woman is not necessarily in her feminine and someone's got to take the initiative. I always say that it should be the man. It may not necessarily, that's not an absolute, but I, I think for men, it's really important for them to be able to begin taking the initiative to reestablish themselves in their masculine, to take responsibility onto themselves for, for creating that spark, for creating that, that differentiation, which is actually, it's actually really difficult for men to do because, um, the best, the best definition that I've ever heard, uh, of masculinity is from uh, Pastor Doug Wilson. He says that masculinity is the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. The glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. And I like that definition because it, it can apply to a man at any stage of his life because a man who's 75 can accept sacrificial responsibility, you know, and he's not going to have any kids at that stage, or he can be disabled or he can, there's all different stage ways that a man can accept sacrificial responsibility that doesn't boil down to some material set of actions like protect, provide, preside, as my, Ryan Mickler says. Ryan Mickler is great. Don't get me wrong. Protect, provide, preside is a really great distinction of men that, that can do things. But when you say like masculinity, can a 75-year-old man who's done, who's, who's not necessarily going to be a great protector at that stage, say 85, 85, not going to be an amazing protector at that stage, you know, provide probably not going to be providing as much as he used to preside, you know, there's presiding that can happen at that stage, but not, not quite as much as as perhaps younger years. Right. But a man can still at that stage, take on some level of sacrificial responsibility, which is to say he can be an elder to, he can, he can teach it like a kindergarten or read stories or paint or something like that. Take on some, some amount of, some amount of um, sacrificial responsibility and still be masculine. And so that's a really wonderful thing. And pastor Wilson is amazing. 
but there's a there's a state at which men can get to and take on so much sacrificial responsibility that they begin sacrificing themselves and then they begin you know the the cortisol goes up the testosterone goes down the sameness creeps in and the whole thing the whole thing falls apart and so men need to get to a point where they need to take learn to take better care of themselves to reparent themselves in a way to say like you know what and, and i suffered i suffered from this where it's like i didn't do the things for years that i needed to to take care of myself because i thought i needed to take on this responsibility and i was being less of a man if i wasn't but in fact i was like smothering my partner and depriving myself of my own strength and so that's an initiative that so many and this is it's a really easy trap for highly capable men to fall into and that's the that's the irony of it is that like the highly capable men will fall into that trap because they'll leverage what they see as their strengths even unto weakness. And so it's difficult to get highly capable men to take care of themselves for that reason, which is kind of like a paradox. And then there are men that need to grow in their masculinity where it's like, you need to take better care of yourself as an act of self, as an act of self-love that you're unfamiliar with feeling. And that's, and those two things are what create that differentiation and that spark and create space for the woman to be in her feminine and the man to be in his masculine. And it, it begins with the man taking responsibility for himself. And that's my, that's my angle on it. And I, I enjoy talking about that. Yeah. And I, I fully support it. And I think like, you know, a man getting aware of like, what is it that he needs? What's going to be the most efficient and effective way for him to be self-caring, especially when he's like on a mission and he's got a family. And, and a lot of times having some alone time. So having a pocket of alone time is so essential. And I find that sometimes the modern man is compromising that because he wants to help out with the house. He wants to be involved in his relationship. He wants to be more involved in the kids. And so he's got his job and then he's got his family life and there's no time left for him. And if he takes alone time, he feels guilty. But if he doesn't take his alone time, because that alone time cave time is a major place where he produces testosterone, can't show up for his kids and his job and his wife and society in that way. So and I, and I do the same work with women because women overgive and put everybody's needs ahead of their own. And so like each need to be aware of what, where they're doing that, where they're crossing their own boundaries. So, and then what do they need to be able to take care of themselves? So giving that stuff outlined is essential. And the lecture that I go out on Monday for women is, is on self-care is like, okay, here's what you need. Here's why you need it. Here's what you need at the different phases of your cycle. Um, and so to be able to really talk about these things and helping men to understand that also what she, what, it, what's self-care for her? Cause it's different than what it is for you. Again, we're different. <laughs> so. Careful. You're going to get us canceled off of Instagram for saying something as controversial as men and women are different. Oh God, you're right. <laughs> All right. There goes that. <laughs> Boop. Yeah. Oh, just- well, maybe we shall pause this and we start another talk. So we've got our polarity conversation. <laughs> we've got the shit words conversation. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Th- I think the shit words conversation would, would be very valuable for a lot of people because there's a lot of words in both uh, culture, like toxic masculinity, mansplaining and stuff that just need to be broken down. But then there's in, in really well-meaning intentional communities I think there's also words that get overused as well, like trauma, wounding, stuff like that, where it's like the words are used to um, deflect, let's say, from actual work rather than address the real root of the problem. Spiritual bypassing is great. It's it's one of the ways that I look at it. Like I don't feel safe. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, Will, this has been such a joy. Thank you. I, I'm so glad that we're having these conversations and that, you know, we touched on so many different things and in, in directions. And I'd be curious to hear from people like what's landed for you, what you've taken away from this, what's spoken to you. We've I've seen some th- stuff come up along the way, but I just I always love hearing what because I get excited about all of this. And so I like to see also what's landing and what other people are excited about out there. And then you know, also what you want to know more of, and let's continue to have these conversations. There's a little, there's a little notification on a little question mark icon. I'm going to, I want to, I want to touch it and see what happens. Oh, can you speak about those found blind spots? I imagine that was a bit of, that was from Jasmine Luna. It was a while ago about found blind spots, probably in reference to work around, probably reference to you work around men. I would guess that that was about, that's what that was about. I have that um, on my notes of what I want to talk about with you as well, which is blind spots and masculinity work. So yes, that's on my list too, Jasmine. Thank you for calling attention to that. And I, I want to have a conversation around blind spots around like the masculinity work and also the femininity work. And, you know, I had a, I, I after I watched um, the red pill the, for the, the second time, I got so excited. I was like, I want to contact Cassie and I want to do a five series documentary, one about like the strength of the, like the benefits of the men's movement, what it needed and like what it served. And then, you know, the shadow side of the men's movement and then the strengths of the Me Too movement and the shadow side of the Me Too movement. And what's the next approach? How can we ride on these strengths and remove the shadow from moving forward? And so I think that like that conversation really falls into these blind spots. Hmm. Topic of these blind spots. Sounds like a conversation you and I could have. (laughs) And a conversation we shall have. (laughs) We shall. We'll definitely do this again. Thank you so much, Justine. This has been, this has been amazing. This this has been so much fun. So this is, I love talking about this stuff and you're amazing to talk about this stuff with. So thank you so much. Thank you. I so, so enjoyed this. And as I've been messaging you, I'm really, this connection between that we're developing is nurturing so many different aspects of my heart, soul, and my femininity, and also just my mission and what I'm passionate about. And I love that we can come together as a man and as a woman and have these conversations. As I said at the very beginning of this talk, like I find this kind of work right now, what you and I are doing is a is the example of what it is that we're teaching. Like this is the great reconciliation. And so I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is, this is great. I really appreciate it. And, and uh, people need to see this conversation happening too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Bye, Will. Bye, Justine. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.